Are we ready to rumble? Yeah, let's fucking rumble. Let's fucking <laughs> rumble. <laughs> Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name's Caleb, and I'm here on account of my no-good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather. My name's Stephanie, and I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. My name's Justin, and I'm innocent. Lawyer fucked me. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. So this week, um, now that we are officially done, sadly, with October 2 Spooky Boogaloo, um... We are going to be heading into December with uh, (laughs) a rather solemn pairing. Well, not solemn, but the topic is solemn. Somber. Um, Two of my favorite movies. Yes, two of mine as well. Sorry, don't don't let don't mistake me here. Um, Don't get it twisted. Uh, (laughs) We are talking about some great films this week. Uh, specifically The Shawshank Redemption and Holes, parentheses 2003. Uh, <laughs> just in case, I don't know, every time a movie has like a one word title, I always get kind of concerned that people will be like, what the hell is that? Because it's just a word. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's not that hard to figure out our point of comparison here, which is, uh, I don't know, I guess, would you call it the, the prison narrative? Prison industrial complex. Yeah. Prison escape. <laughs> Also, I want to go back to that for a second. Do you think when Alien first came out, like people were like, "Oh man, did you go see Alien last week?" What are you talking about? Did I go see Alien? What do you mean? Did, Which was there some sort of announcement yeah. that I missed? Like, okay, but imagine <laughs> Aliens. Uh, yeah. Like, did, did you see did Aliens you go see last aliens? week? What? No, <laughs> I was on vacation. Did you? What see did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> My cable went out. I don't... <laughs> Sorry. Hey, you could say we really dig holes here. Oh. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, yes, I'm I'm very excited about this episode. How about you guys? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I, they're I, both... <laughs> what? Uh, sorry. No, um, uh, I imagine uh, we all have some... Uh, some deep thoughts on the subject matter of, uh, of these two films. Because uh, not only are they prison narratives, they are specifically... Uh, wrongful incarceration prison yes. narratives, which is... Uh, yeah, we will be talking about that. They have a surprising amount of similarities, but that could just be due to like, genre similarities. Um, do you guys want to... S- we normally go in chronological order, but would you guys like to start with Holes? And so we don't have, like... I feel like if we start with Shawshank mm. Redemption, it might be, like, a bit of emotional whiplash going back to Holes. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. Start I, on a start on a high note, and then drag our audience down with us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Think of it as delving deeper into the subject at hand. <laughs> All right. So, experiences with holes. Oh, all good. All good. <laughs> <laughs> mostly good. Yeah. Mostly um, good. 
so this movie came out in 2003. I was in the third grade. Uh, I remember going to see it in theaters with my grandfather, and I was a little bit annoyed because I was only halfway through the book. And the movie <laughs> follows like spoilers. the book remarkably well. Um, the screenplay was actually written by the book's author. Um, this was always, like, my car ride movie. My grandfather had a portable DVD player. Bougie. And whenever we went on road trips, yeah. <laughs> I always took The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Holes. Wow. Uh, some Sounds Familiar greatest hits going on right. here. Right. Like, there'd be other movies, but those two were necessities. Yeah, of course. Um, um, Justin, you go first. Okay. Uh, I saw this movie in theaters uh, about two, maybe three times. I was 11 uh, when it came out. And I loved it as soon as the uh, video came out. I didn't have it, but uh, one of my cousins, who I spent a lot of time with, did. So I watched the uh, ever-living hell out of this movie uh, growing <laughs> up. This is the first time I've seen it, probably in a decade. Um, oh. And well, I think it holds up surprisingly well. Would you say it holds up <laughs> I would not. Well. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I still I still uh, have a very high opinion of this movie. There's some things that, after having some distance, didn't work for me, but that's more of a like technical thing, not uh, so much the content <laughs> the in it. The wipes oh my the god, we'll, the... we'll get there, but the slow-mo <laughs> yeah. killed me. <laughs> But no, it's, uh, it's good very movie. like Disney Channel melodrama, so it'll do like those, yeah, like the the editing and stuff, and like the super jerky slow mo, and it's like supposed to be really dramatic and everything. But it's... Well, that's it almost what it feels like, like. A, a documentary. Yeah, uh, that's almost uh. what it feels like, right? Is that this is like uh, a movie that lies somewhere budgetarily between a Disney Channel original movie and like a yeah. national treasure? Film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spiritually, it is very much like National Treasure. Uh, don't ask me to explain that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um, we need to find an excuse to talk about National Treasure. That's I'm one saying of our National Treasure movies. and Indiana Jones. Boom. Let's done. Let's do it. Done. Do all right. It. Oh coming I think that's the second time we've promised that on Mike. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh? So, guys, it's, it's oh, coming. We'll, we'll actually write it down this we time. We can do it next month, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. Stephanie. Yeah. Your experiences um, with okay, Holes yeah. 2003. <laughs> I'm putting that. Pr- I'm going to say 2003 every time, so Stephanie can't stop ma- or can't keep making puns about Shut it. Up. <laughs> no, I love puns. Um, okay, so yeah, I I actually don't know the first time I saw this movie. It, as has often been the case on this podcast, I I was I, it because of me? Uh, no, actually, okay. I, I saw it before I met you. Um, as is often the case on here, uh, Caleb and Justin saw a given thing way before I did because <laughs> they actually watched a variety of movies as kids, whereas I did not. Um, n- not not by my own fault, to be sure, but still. Um, I think I first saw it when I was in like maybe junior high schoolish age. I-, I think it came on like Disney Channel, um, and I really liked it. Um, it has a lot of elements that. I've always kind of liked, which is like, um, <laughs> this was before I got into the whole prison narrative thing, which we're talking about today. So that didn't really factor into it as much as like, uh, it had treasure hunting. It had like old West stuff. There was like, um, kind of some social justice undertones. Um, it was, uh, you know, a movie about kids that, I don't know, felt like it genuinely cared about their experiences. Yes. Um, and took them seriously. 
despite be- and like was also and, a nice balance of like funny but also like could be serious when it needed to be right this movie does one of those things where er, whenever the adults are telling the teenagers how they have to be like the adults are wrong like they're shown as yeah. being wrong and being yeah. a-holes Right, right, and I think that is an important distinction because never once does it feel preachy. Like, there's never, like, a big moment where it's like, and the moral is this. Right, like, we don't know what all of the boys at Camp Green Lake did, but you get the feeling that most of them, they're all good kids, except for Zigzag. He can go fuck himself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, before, we'll do a quick summary before... uh, before getting too deep into why he's such a douchebag. Um, <laughs> no, not why. How. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to try and do this from memory. All right. Okay. Go for it. Stanley Yelnats is a teenager who, through no fault of his own, you could argue it's because of the fault of the 150-year-old curse on his family, <laughs> is sent to a juvenile detention center, like an alternative juvenile detention center. Um where the camp is run by unscrupulous people, um, and Stanley and his new friends have to uncover the mystery of Camp Green Lake and break the curse on Stanley's family. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good, good vague enough to be on IMDb, right? Right, and um, a big thing that the movie does is interweaving several different stories. Like, yes. there's the mm-hmm. primary story, which is the the present, but there's also stories from the past. Right, there's this, we it. get, uh, it's intercut with uh, the story of Stanley's no good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather, and um, the town of, what was it, Green Lake? I don't know. Yeah, something like that, the, yeah. the town that used to be on the lake um, where the camp is now. Yes. Yeah, so it's like it This movie does interweaving storylines really well, I think. Yeah. Um and it's really good at keeping up the mystery. It it it's constantly doling out little tidbits of information mm-hmm. at just like at at appropriate times. There's no like huge info dump at the very end. It's just steadily doling it out. And I think it's just really good. Really right. good with the mystery. And it never really feels yeah. confusing. Like everything kind of makes sense as it comes together. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, would you? Was that our summary, more or less? Yeah, more or less. So, do you guys want to get into notes? Yeah, I didn't take that many, um, because I was just so focused on these two movies. I took literally none for Shawshank. Stephanie has like a page and a half. <laughs> you have a lot of notes uh, for Shawshank. The first thing I want to talk about briefly is um the the cast in this movie, the gets that they got. I uh, know Henry Winkler, Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, um. John Voight. Uh, John Voight, Unfortunately, John Blake Blake Nelson. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Angelina Jolie's dad. The great Eartha Kitt. Um, uh, oh, who plays... Yes, Eartha Kitt. Who plays um, Stanley's mom? Oh, oh, I don't know. I've seen her in goodness, stuff, but I don't know name? what her name is. Yeah, she was in Men in Black, right? Oh. Yeah, uh, oh. she's uh, Edgar's Edgar's wife. Yeah. Uh, oh, and oh, uh, got... Patricia Arquette? Uh Kissing Kate Barlow? Yeah. Was that Patricia Oh, yes, Arquette? yes. Yeah. Yes. And DeLay Hill. Yes, and DeLay Hill. Just... Every time I see Patricia Arquette, I, I just think... Elizabeth Banks? Yes, I keep thinking, <laughs> ah, not Elizabeth Banks. There she is. Right, they definitely look similar. I can see it for sure. 
I was yeah. telling Stephanie that if you imagine Elizabeth Banks as playing the role, like she would give even the same line deliveries, at least in my head. <laughs> Not that kills, checks out. Kills over here fan casting. <laughs> that, that checks out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, uh, of course, Shia LaBeouf in his first feature film role. Tiny, tiny, tiny Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. I, such a I don't baby even think even movie. Stevens had ended he yet. He is. He's baby. This movie was the reason <laughs> that people would tell me I looked like Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it's the hair. It was, it was. It was the hair. Similar facial structure, I guess, when he's got the baby face. But as soon yeah. as he hit Transformers, I didn't get told that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did. I did. But people were thinking of him in holes, not sh- not Transformers. <laughs> uh huh. So I really like the soundtrack. But we have a discussion question for that, so we'll reserve that conversation for later. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's difficult as it is. I, okay, a little nitpicking. I really question the charges and sentencing that they were able, that they would be able to pin on Stanley. Um, because, I, I, I don't know. Evidence is entirely circumstantial. They found him with the shoes, but that's it. Like, I, and then, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, what's that? Yeah, what's that uh, stupid saying that possession is nine tenths of the tenths law? Tenths of the law. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, my thoughts were more clear, but I didn't write them all out. I was ranting to Stephanie about it. Uh, well, I I had a I had a similar note about that. <laughs> the quote: "We don't need a lawyer. We'll just tell the truth." And then the jump cut Woof. to the judge sentencing him uh, was that very hurts. depressing mm. and felt very true to life. Because um, the mom says that, they're like, oh, it's fine. Like, we know he didn't do it. We'll just tell the truth that the, the judge is, like, Stanley Gilnats. Like, yeah. Which is something we... we'll see later in Shawshank, too. Um, yep. 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 The sentencing scene is, is important. Yep. Um, throughout the movie, we get more uh, tidbits from Stanley's trial. And there's one scene. So, so Stanley ended up at Camp Green Lake. Because he was found with a pair of shoes from a famous baseball player. That he was a fan of. Yeah, he was a fan of. The shoes were up for auction, and they ended up with Stanley. He did not steal them, but it got pinned on him. And there's a scene at his trial where the baseball player is there just talking (laughs) mad shit at this teenager. I know. Just (laughs) laying into him like, you're no fan of mine. Like... Bro, jeez, I, <laughs> I feel like this kind of color commentary, like his, if Stanley had a lawyer, which he would, he would have a public defender, um, mm-hmm. would be like, um, uh, uh, objection, like this, this yeah, is, uh, objection, you are hurting my client's feelings, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and it's like at at first glance, it makes sense that the guy would be like, uh, no real fan of mine would steal shoes that were supposed to benefit, like. What was it like? Homeless the homeless children's children shelter. shelter. But also, like, if he knew anything about the case, he would be able to tell that Stanley is like really poor, and like, so he's also not exactly some privileged rich kid who's like stealing from homeless kids. He's like almost there himself. So, yeah. But you know, movie's got a movie, <laughs> um, and it, it seems like something that could actually happen. Sadly, <laughs> at least that the person would probably say it on Twitter now. But <laughs> I didn't take a ton of notes, so I'm gonna try and do like a rough run through of the plot just to try and jog my own memory mm, yeah. um rabbit camp green lake we meet the other boys in detent and tim blake nelson and mr sir um <laughs> i mr. love sir and dr pendansky so um i love john voight's like he's super jumpy yeah mm-hmm. like he's that one so when stanley comes back his first night he's out way later than the other boys because <laughs> he so all the boys at camp green lake have to dig a five foot hole every day 
Um, Stanley comes back way later than all the other boys, and Mr. <laughs> Mr. Sir John Voight is, like, prowling the ground looking for lizards. And he sees one, he's, he just starts jumping all over the place and firing his gun. Like, at first, Stanley thinks he's going to shoot him, and he's just got this crazy, uh, what did you say? Uh, the Forrest Whitaker eye. got the Forrest Whitaker eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has the jumpiest, like, most bow-looking, like, cowboy energy. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the camp, quote-unquote, is yeah. just a front for a treasure hunting operation. Okay. Prison industrial complex. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> what? The reason there's a curse on their family is because Stanley's great great grandfather. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, go back in time. Was wanted to marry this girl, but he needed a pig to marry her. So this fortune teller told him to take this pig and carry it up the mountain and sing a song, and he'd get strong, and the pig would get big. But then he had to come back and carry the fortune teller up the mountain. And if he didn't, and if he didn't, then the family would be cursed uh, for always and eternity. Eternity. <laughs> Eartha Kitt just chewing it up. Oh, uh, um, so much. Yes. Great. Um, the the poor girl is. Too dim-witted to she, choose between the large, ugly, upstairs. fat man and the attractive young man. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he says, you know what? I'm out. And he leaves yeah. whatever Eastern European country they were supposed to be from and doesn't carry Madame Zeroni up the mountain. Which, and so uh, the family's cursed. Doesn't he what? leave to go, like, follow the footsteps of Madame Zeroni's son? Like, it's a story she yeah. told him. So she he remembers Madame Zeroni. He just doesn't do I, it. See, this, I I almost, I had, well, I had almost an issue with it because it was like, I don't understand how he would have forgotten because, for one thing, it's not like he could have walked directly away from the girl's property onto a ship, like, to go to America. There would have definitely had to have been some time in between. And also, he just spent a full calendar year we are meant to understand carrying this pig up and down the mountain uh, as per the instructions of madame zaroni like he wasn't just doing that because he wanted to like i just do not buy Why that did myra Mankey's dad wait that long also a great question when 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 that's true Elia, the guy was courting her a when elia first goes to madame zaroni this other guy has already offered a pig for myra's hand in marriage why would her dad wait a year yeah, just he to wants see that pig. what Elia has? I don't. That's a great question. Maybe the guy was the, now the movie in no way says this, so it's not like it's an excuse. But maybe the the big fat guy was like, "Hey, this is a young pig, but in a year it will be at full like maturity, and then I'll give it to you in exchange." We for don't your daughter. see it. The exact quote from Myra's dad is. He has offered me his fattest pig in exchange for her hand in marriage. But it could be a year in the future. It could be that the year that the uh, the pig wasn't fully developed yet. Could be. <laughs> that would uh, be the best explanation. But it's true. The movie doesn't actually give us that. So. Uh, also, something I just remembered. Uh, there was a huge tone setter at the beginning that we forgot about. This movie opens with a child committing suicide. No, no, no. He just gets himself hurt enough to send to get sent home. Oh, that's I don't right. Think he gets believe the barf bag dies. He gets bit by a, uh, rattlesnake. a rattlesnake. I was thinking he got. I was thinking he let himself oh my get God, bit by a lizard. I forgot right. about that. No, it wasn't. And then they spe- a lizard. And then they specifically say later that a rattlesnake won't kill you, but a lizard will. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I it, won't, even... it won't kill you. Usually. So it is. <laughs> but a tone, yellow spotted lizard will kill you. It is a tone setter because always. it. Yeah. Huh. And you will die a slow and painful death. <laughs> because always. it sets up the kind of 
terrible environment that is right. The, the, the camp. these uh, teenagers are, are there are people here willing to get bit by a rattlesnake for the chance to leave this place. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking wasteland. Um. Anyway, yeah. Okay. So, so <laughs> Elia Yelnats goes to America. <laughs> yeah. Elia has a kid. Stanley Yelnats the first. Um, he gets rich playing the stock market. Um, where he and at some point. He is robbed by famous outlaw Kissing Kate Barlow and loses all his money. I will survive. Yeah, and then three gener or two generations <laughs> no, three generations later, Stanley that's the fourth. But Ooh, that's a lot of Stanley. That's yep. But so that's effectively the like the end of all the interesting stuff of their family story. Like <laughs> the, his that. grandpa's just there and he's 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 nice and he's a cool grandpa and his dad is Henry Winkler who is trying to find a cure for foot odor. Um <laughs> sure. Um <laughs> Got to make it rich somehow, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Obama's America. I'm just kidding. This would have been this Bush's was America. Bush, yeah. um, <laughs> Makes sense. But we find out that Stanley's family history is tied in with Camp Green Lake mm-hmm. because back in the day, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop doing soundtrack now. <laughs> a um a bustling western town, um, and there's a school teacher and the town's resident black man, um, <laughs> <laughs> the black guy. <laughs> Which is funny because, I mean, apparently the Old West had lots of people of color because, you know, that was, like, ostensibly a more egalitarian place um, than, than the East, which, you know, <laughs> but um, there there were lots of cowboys that were uh, black and Hispanic. But here, where it's, it's first come, first here, served, yeah, he got the job. Um, and um, so I'm also they- now... I'm now regretting not opening with my name's Justin and I can fix that. Oh, <laughs> Justin. Missed opportunity. Oh, man. oh, I considered it. I passed it by. That one's the panty dropper, man. <laughs> Love yes, it. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie. The school teacher and Dulé Hill have a relationship. They fall in love. It's very <laughs> they almost sweet. get to have a relationship. It's a, yeah. <laughs> it's a very it's a very sweet sequence. Um, That's what always gets me. I am more invested in this relationship than like most movie relationships. relationships. They're on screen together for like ten minutes. Yeah, this storyline is uh, the best parts of the movie uh, in my opinion. Yes, it's very good and it's very depressing. So yep, which is why I love it. (laughs) The the son of the gentleman who owns most of the town um, is wants wants the uh, the teacher lady for his his gal his gal pal um <laughs> his lady friend and he sees her and Sam kissing and so they lynch him and then um, sort of i mean they don't even really get the chance to hang him which oh, that's is what right. they wanted to do they were do. going to but then i they guess Charlotte was impatient in and the they back shot him on the lake fucking cowards well they shot him on no, the lake because no. we 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 can't have a lynching on a Disney yeah, movie. Yeah, that would be a bit much. <laughs> we can say we're going to have one. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah. And then so she decides that she's going to get revenge on the town and she kills the sheriff and then just becomes an outlaw. I'm just surprised Hell that yeah. she didn't kill What's-His-Face. Trout? Yeah. Ah, she cursed him. I know, but she didn't see him. It wasn't that she just didn't see him again until all those years later. Maybe. Like, probably. If, she killed if the sheriff me, and ran town. I, he would have been my second so, stop after the sheriff. Right. So, 
on her Robin spree, Stanley's great grandfather was one of her vi- one of uh, her victims. She didn't kill him though, because as his mom says, if she'd have kissed him, she could kill him. Um, <laughs> and the after the so after they kill Sam, the lake dries up and the town dies. So Trout, his name's Trout Walker, um, goes from being and he almost deserved it. A, <laughs> A, a no, rich a rich it. guy's son to being penny poor. Um, and this Ape is where we get the way. second curse of the movie when Kate is alone on the dry lake bed oh, leaning right. against Sam's, Sam's uh, sunken boat in the dry lake bed and Trout and his girl, his wife, um, his friend. show up. And they know that her treasure's like buried somewhere. Um but she won't tell them. So this is where she curses Trout and says that your children and your children's children will spend a hundred years digging up this dirt and never find a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, uh, the the woman that is with Trout in that final confrontation, it's implied that she was one of uh, yeah. Kate's students. So that yeah. age difference is Whoa. something. <laughs> hey, remember Trout technically was a student because <laughs> she had true. that, that that's night true. class for adults and all the dudes were like really creepy to her and it was terrible. The duck may swim on the lake God. but my daddy owns the lake. <laughs> I hate that so much. Uh, I wish um, he bit it but at least he gets cursed. So, so like one of the first interesting things that happens to Stanley is that so one of the first hints we get is the kids are told that if they find anything interesting that the warden likes they may get the day off. Um... So like Stanley finds a fossil, and he's like, "Stanley, the warden ain't interested in fossils." Right, and, and the kids don't understand why. They're just like, "We found right. nothing interesting." And so armpits like, the fishies. <laughs> it's like <laughs> makes me think of my favorite line in Beetlejuice: "Birdies." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he finds um, what that looks like a bullet casing was actually a lipstick tube with Kate Barlow's initials on it. Mm-hmm. But, but they don't reveal it that day. So, like, one of the other kids who's, like, the leader of their group says that if Stanley finds anything interesting, that he gets to keep it. Because, you know, Stanley just got here. Um, so Stanley's like, use it tomorrow. You'll get the whole day off. And so they're in a different digging location, which is why they don't find the treasure. And also, Stanley is shown throwing this really obvious, like, conspicuous stone that looks like it has a face on it up on the edge of the hole, which is why he's also able to find that hole later on at the end of the movie. Mm, you know, I didn't even catch that before. That's a really good eye, Caleb. Thank you. This is it's what happens so when you've seen this movie intricate. a couple dozen times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Um, where are we, we have, at? Yeah. Uh, we should probably mention Hector Zeroni. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Important, important storyline here. Who is also tied in via the uh, the past because his his mm-hmm. something something great grandmother was Madame Zeroni, mm-hmm. and um, and so it's like all these families are kind of cursed in different ways. Like, no, obviously Madame Zeroni didn't put a curse on her own family, but it's like it's sort of this symbolic thing where because he didn't carry her up the mountain. Like her, like she was harmed by that too, and so her family also has been harmed. Um, 
because of, you know, that, that core, uh, I don't know, oversight, that lack of care for another Mm -hmm. human being, like, um, and of course that comes to fruition later, which no spoilers, but you know, (laughs) right. So zero doesn't talk for most of the movie. Um, he makes friends with Stanley. Stanley teaches him how to read. Um, at a certain point, Stanley gives Dr. Pendanski just a hell of a whack upside the head with a shovel. Zero runs away. Um, and Stanley follows him the next day. Because um, he wants to go find him. The he find, They meet up at the Sam's old boat again. Um, they're subsisting on, what was it, peaches? Yeah, it was the peaches, the, the, the spiced peaches. Um, and Zero reveals that he was the one who stole the shoes that got Stanley arrested. Everything is connected. And God bless this movie, Stanley doesn't react at all. Yeah, like, a lesser movie would have had Stanley get angry at Zero, and it would have been a whole thing for like mm-hmm. the next half hour. Right. But it's but the the experience has has taught him a lot of empathy. Like you have to infer. Right. Like, he's not upset that he's him. there at all. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And that's I think part of what makes Stanley a likable character is that even though he's a little bit of like a dumb fish out of water at times, he's like he doesn't have a superiority complex to the people around him because he is actually innocent. You know, he actually wants them to like him. You know, both of these movies do the similar thing with um, the the innocent protagonist realizing very quickly, quickly that there's no point continuing to declare their innocence. Um, so, like, right. when Dr. Pendancy says, who are you? You're here on account of one person. Who is it? And Stanley <laughs> says... Yeah, my no good, dirty, rotten, pig stealing, great great grandfather. That's who. Yeah, and then and it's supposed to be a, like a joke. Kind in of, the Shawshank yeah. Redemption, um, he says he's innocent like one time to Red, right? And then after that, he does what everyone else does and said, you know, the lawyer screwed me. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's like once you're in that environment and you get to know that the people inside are are just that are people, and like you're not well, better than them. Most of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. There you gotta be human exceptions. first. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get around to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yes, that I think that's kind of one thing that is also common to both of these movies. Like you said, is the protagonist um, who might be they like they are innocent, but they discover that they have so much in common with the other people there, and that the fact of having actually committed this little crime is not really the biggest thing. Like. It doesn't also, actually matter that it much. It doesn't change their situation at right, all. Right, they're all in there. Yeah. They're all in the same tank together. And they have to work together to survive. Um, so Stanley and Zero are Working stuck together in the to desert. Survive. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> More or less. Um, Stanley's grandfather told him that his great grandfather, after he was strained in the desert by Kate Barlow, survived by seeking refuge on God's thumb. Mm. They spy a mountain that looks suspiciously like a giant thumb. Um, and climb up it to the banger of Don't Give Up by Eagle Eye Cherry. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> where they find onions at the top, uh, which was Sam's secret onion supply, uh, which, fun uh, fact, though, they were apples. What? Ah. They're, they're that, like yeah. uh, apples covered with a, a 
coating and edible coating to make them look like onions. <laughs> That's why they were just taking Good. little bites out of yeah. it. It's funny. Good. Uh, I mean, I would have just way... chomped into the onion. Oh my god! At that point, yeah, <laughs> honestly. Commit. Commit or don't act. Uh, That's acting, (laughs) motherfucker. (laughs) Uh, The way everything comes, the way everything comes together in this movie Mm -hmm. is almost like reading uh, the last issue of a big event comic book series. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like no, they survived on the peaches that were Kate's, and then also on the onions that were Sam's, and that's. uh, And then I had I had a note about so the Kate's peaches and Sam's onions are like both end up saving them so they subsist on the peaches in the boat and then they make it to sam's onions and live there and then they come back with the onion the onions are almost like the return with the elixir Mm. so they decide to come back for the treasure because they know where it is now but because of the onions they don't get attacked by the yellow spotted lizards Mm -hmm. which are just bearded dragons which have been painted um but but in universe the bite of a yellow spotted lizard will kill you every time um, oh gosh! You're By being bringing... infected with terrible CGI. <laughs> That's the worst thing that could happen to anyone. Um, by bringing those things together, it's like they they are symbolically bringing um, Kate and Sam together, and that was the original rift, the original wound. We didn't even mention the fact that Zero gets injured on his way up the mountain. Stanley literally has to carry him, Mm -hmm. and then when they make it to the spring, Mm -hmm. Stanley sings If Only, If Only, The Woodpecker Sighs while Hector is drinking from the water and breaks the curse on their families. Right. He redeems his um, his great-great-great-whatever grandfather's His no-good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather's crime. (laughs) Right. He redeems it because his... The core of his crime there, as I mentioned earlier, was was failing to keep his promise, was was failing to be there for someone who helped him. It, it was mm-hmm. essentially a crime of selfishness. Now, he obviously wasn't a bad person, but he was too concerned with, like, his own affairs to to do the thing that he promised he would to help someone else. And But Stanley here um, manages to rise to the occasion um, because there's also that great moment in the tent where they're talking about, like, no one cares about Hector Zeroni. They're talking about erasing him, Stanley essentially, says, from I existence. Do. My man Stanley just shows up as like, I do. And I have expected them to just, like, very secretly kill him right there <laughs> so that their plan would <laughs> no, just... they couldn't kill Stanley because he had people who would come looking for him. That's true, which, that's true. As... Yes, Justin. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, they're not willing to murder children, but they are willing to <laughs> let children die. Yeah. <laughs> how far are you willing to, or what are you willing, what's that line in Parks and Rec? It's like, how far are you willing to go? I won't murder. <laughs> well, it's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's them, essentially, um, what we see. <laughs> so as soon as that happens, the like, the curse is broken and there are immediate effects. Like, we cut to Stanley's dad having a breakthrough because he for some reason just had a bowl of sliced peaches sitting it's, on the exhaust hood of it's, their it's stove very top. fairy tale like and it, it fell into the pot yeah. of shoes he was boiling mm-hmm. and he found out that surprise surprise peaches and onions combined together hey. eliminate foot odor it's, uh, the, yeah. the it's scene mythic. with henry it's a fable. uh <laughs> The scene with Henry Winkler, and uh, I'm going to butcher her name. I have it pulled up here. <laughs> Saban Hogan is how I'm going to say it. Let me know if I'm wrong. Or better uh, yet, don't. Irish. 
Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I know how it's spelled, but I don't know. Yeah, S I O B H A N. Anyway, where they're dancing and just saying, I don't smell anything. I could never have gotten through that scene as an actor. I don't know how they did it. It's cute, though. And then so that, apparently, um, the, the. The he was able to make some money off of that very quickly because know, like right? the following day, um, they send a lawyer out to Camp Green Lake to get Stanley. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is great. It's like the the warden and her her lackeys finally having to answer for something for once. Oh, another aspect of this movie just being really good at doling stuff out at a steady but like restrained pace is that the is the reveal of the warden. You hear yeah. about her, you don't know, you assume it's a man. Um, Stanley assumes it's John Voight. Um, <laughs> and then him. it takes a good way into the movie before we even meet the warden and find out that it's Sigourney Weaver. She's great. She yeah. is having a great time yeah. in this role. I love her so I, much. I love how she, like, is awesome. Not even oscillates wildly. Like, she's constantly at this weird place where she's, like... <laughs> Less crazy than than the than John Voight, but like has just this like trigger. She has it she more restrained. Just... It's more right, under control exactly. and more focused. Like just you hear that? Mm-hmm. Can you hear the empty spaces? <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's like she can be more fair, but she's also like really scary and like has this yeah. this vision that she just can't compromise on ever. And even um, that is a—it's a result of generational trauma. We like haven't mentioned ones. that the warden is the granddaughter of yep. Trout Walker. Mm-hmm. Her her crazy grandfather who would make her dig holes there. <laughs> Apparently, her parents just let that happen. I don't want to dig anymore, Grandpa. To which he says something I frequently say. <laughs> well, that's too damn bad. Too damn bad. <laughs> I got so much mileage out of that. As like a twelve-year-old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's everyone having to deal with, with the their, sins of their their, their, oh, their forefathers. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unfortunately, the warden didn't. She she didn't get any of the. Her curse didn't get broken. It came yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> In a different story, maybe she would have been the protagonist, maybe things would have gone differently. But it's also a difference in how you handle that generational trauma, because she uh, can't break it. She just has to keep doing it herself, because she has to find it, because it's an obsession. Let's talk treasure hunting law. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Caleb, hit us with the the lawyer-ness. So in America, there are... are federal and state actually it may entirely be state i'm not sure laws regarding treasure hunting okay um one something has to be buried for a certain amount of time before it can be considered buried treasure this qualifies um i think the statute is like 20 30 or something like that um if you are going to be seeking treasure on land owned by someone else you need to make an agreement with them as to what percentage of it they will get. And if you don't, they're entitled to a large percentage, if not all of said treasure found on their land without their permission. Um, so when the warden says that that's her treasure, she 
she'd probably end up with most of it because I'm pretty sure she has the deeds to the entirety of that land. Well, it's also uh, <laughs> so much legalese here, but uh, since that is a juvenile uh, prison reform thing, does the state own it or is it privatized? Does she own I it? I think it's like... private. I think it's owned by her. And then it begs the question when she's arrested and all of those assets are taken from her, wouldn't the state then own the treasure? Because they say, which is a problem I have with the movie, they say that the camp reopens as a uh, girls' uh, prison reform camp. No, no, no. No, no, it doesn't. Okay, so after, so after they break the curse, we have the healing of the land, Okay. It hasn't rained at Camp Green Lake since the day that they killed Sam, which is why the lake dried up. And then as soon as Stanley and Hector come back with the treasure and the lawyer shows up to take them home, it starts raining at Camp Green Lake for the first time in 100 years. Mm -hmm. And the lake comes back, and they reopen it as a summer camp for girls. Okay, I just assumed he said they reopened Camp Green Lake as a girls' camp. I assumed. <laughs> no, it's literally a camp then, I guess. Not yeah, a no, it's literally camp, just it's... A, it's just a summer camp now. Rest assured, Justin. Uh, well, that is much better. <laughs> yeah, I'd be angry too if I thought that's how it ended. <laughs> much like, oh, cool. Now, feminism. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a prison for girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're leaving out Orange is the New Black in our prison narrative discussions here, but that's a, a little more long form, so can't quite get around to that here. Um, this movie has... I'm going to move in a little bit, too, about the commentary that this movie has, because um, we moved through most of the plot. Yeah. Um, Hector was arrested for the crime of being homeless, as a homeless teenager he, he um, stole something oh no you're right he got he got yes he got I mean, caught uh, uh at a fundamentally yeah. he was arrested was... for being homeless and poor oh, you're right he, he did say he was a stole a pair of shoes from payless or something like that yeah um i always forget that um so hector and his mom were homeless and he would have to he, he tells stanley how he would spend his days and nights waiting on porches and in playgrounds waiting for her to come home or come back um, which, jeez, man. We don't ever find out what his mom was doing, which isn't really the point. I mean, mm -hmm. I also noticed that, um, you know, he, he mentions that she's gone somewhere and he doesn't know where she is. Um, and the movie never really tells us where she went, but, but I think that's intentional. I think that if it told us where she went, that people could be like, oh, well, she could have just, bad or mom. she shouldn't have done that. So that's why they just left it Leaving out. Leaving it a fill in the blank keeps it much more sympathetic. Right, because it's not yeah. about that. It's about can... the fact that, she, yeah, that she had to leave. Yeah, you like you get the understanding that she didn't come back because she had to, not because she just wanted to leave him. Right, right. and and it is said and, in the text of the movie that she had been looking for him. Right. So it's not like she wasn't going and to And we get back. closure, because when they find the treasure, Stanley's family splits it 50-50 with him. And he oh, uses the money to hire a private investigator to find her mom. So every every storyline in this movie gets a bow on it. Yeah, which I I have come to very much appreciate. <laughs> I like my bows <laughs> on my storylines. <laughs> um, 
But but yes, I, I do like the way that that is handled. Um, and I think it's a similar reason why you don't find out a lot of the crimes of of the, the boys kids. because that's not important. What they right. did to end up in Camp Green Lake is not. And that's a, a similar thing with Shawshank, actually, that we'll talk about. Like, um, that is not the most important thing <laughs> going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's a, the all the boys giving themselves nicknames because they're trying to, I don't know, they're trying to figure out who they are. Establishing you know, they're, identity. They're establishing identity. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and they all put on this tough facade because they're in this, this camp where everyone has to be tough. But then at the end, you know, like... Armpit is like, tell my mom Theodore says he's sorry, and all this stuff. And it's not because of anything the quote-unquote counselors did. No. And then, like, take yeah, a bad well, boy, you make him dig a hole, he turns into a good boy. Right, and that's, like, like that's the whole concept of, like, <laughs> once again, when we get to talking about Shawshank Redemption, there's this concept of, like, questioning, like, sorry, there's the questioning of the concept of rehabilitation, which is mm-hmm. also happening here, because their whole theory here, which the legal system is buying into because they are sponsoring this camp and actively sending their juvenile uh, offenders here. Um, the whole idea is that through hard labor, they will somehow... Yeah. 18 That's months. That's ridiculous. A year and a half as a teenager for... For stealing a pair of shoes. No, f- for being found with a pair right, of shoes. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the idea is that... And this is said throughout the movie, like, oh, it'll build character. Like, through making them do this hard labor, through punishing them physically, I guess, like, it will teach them something. But, like, no one there is actually teaching them anything. No one there is, like, genuinely, like, leveling with them. The closest is What's-His-Face, Pedansky, who is, like, sort of the counselor, but he clearly is not doing it well. Uh, <laughs> Just like you didn't know Pendansky was no doctor. <laughs> I love him. He is so scary, honestly. Like, he's hilarious and stupid, but also, like, he has this, like, crazy look in his eye. <laughs> Just, like, I don't know. That, that, he's so amazing. I, uh, that's why this movie specifically is why when everything that we found out about John Voight and he keeps doing John Voighty things made me so sad. I was like, man, you were in holes. <laughs> <laughs> How could you? This this movie has a surprising amount of things to say and relevant themes for what is ostensibly a kids movie made by Disney. That's like yeah. a step above a Disney Channel original. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna put most of that on the author slash screenplay writer um, for maintaining those themes and that transition. Um, well, yeah. the way it tackles the the entire concept of, of, of prison, of the prison industrial complex, uh, both of those things, because it, it attacks the prison industrial complex by uh, distilling it down to this very clear cut and dry narrative of the owners of the prison, the people who run it, are using it as a front to make money. That's the most yeah. clear you could possibly get with that idea, uh, th- which is something that really happens. And it is very clearly shown to be what it is, which is a, a bad thing. And also, even the notion of prison itself, it it kind of gives the lie to this idea that you can turn someone into a better person just by by punishing them bodily, by punishing them 
by punishing them at all, honestly. Like, the way that they become better, the way that they redeem the past it is by helping each other and is by, like, um, undoing the wrongs that were done in the past and by changing things, by growing into better people through, like, through connection. It's not through digging fucking holes. Well, you know, in a manner of speaking, <laughs> in a way it is. It is. Holes. <laughs> <laughs> Just not in the way that the warden intended. It's so it, it really shines a light on. Uh, I, I don't know how intentional this was. I have to assume it was at least, was at least a little intentional, but it shines a light on how all of all of that punitive justice system is entirely misdirected. Like there are ways to redeem the past. There are ways to become a better person, but it's not by it's not by this. It's it's not this. <laughs> like in other words. That ain't it, Chief. Yes. <laughs> Disney said abolish private prisons. Uh. <laughs> Disney's uh, mixing metaphors a little bit, but we'll, we'll give it to them where they actually get it, maybe. Um. <laughs> Disney said abolish prisons and then donated hundreds of millions of dollars to Republican super PACs. Yo, it did that Trump, actually To get happen? Donald Trump elected Funny. and reelected. But yeah. Yes, yes <laughs> Well, but understand that Disney might also have not really been thinking about, oh, this thing has a subversive message. They probably just saw dollar signs. I was like, about to say, Disney, Disney doesn't care book. if yeah. the stuff that they put out has subversive messages because it gives them money to do the opposite. Right, exactly. It's it's all about the moolah. Oh. Um, but, but still. Boy, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, must be the money. But, but, but the, the great thing is that this is introducing these kind of really subversive ideas of of you know of prison reform and even prison abolition to to very young viewers who mm -hmm. uh, you know growing up in America you are taught to accept the system that we have as pretty much the only option like even people as adults will be like well what options do we have other than the prison system like and don't even begin to to comprehend it so i honestly think that that watching this movie as a kid like while it obviously didn't introduce me to all those big ideas it it definitely got me to to empathize with with um people in that situation and empathize with that feeling of being trapped and being forced to like do things that that you didn't want to do and that really weren't weren't good for you like um i think it's really great honestly more so than it has any right to be as a, what is it like a it's not a disney channel original movie no. but um <laughs> sort no, of like that we, we've been singing its praises just in uh, I understand you had something you want, some things you wanted to say about the technical aspects. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> we we've we've basically like made jokes about all of it. The the slow mo transitions did not age well at all. It makes it feel so corny. Ev almost um, every transition is like a, a layered fade, like one shot yeah. on top of the other, fade in or fade out, slow mo. Uh, and then other than that, just getting nitpicky about, uh, the, uh, those yellow spotted lizards look fine <laughs> if no one's touching them, but the minute yeah. someone has to manipulate one, yeah. it looks like, <laughs> it looks like a dollar store rubber toy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the CGI like, stuff is very early. Yeah. 2000s. You can, it's very obvious when it's a real lizard and when it's a CGI lizard. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I want to know who had the job of painting bearded dragons for these scenes. <laughs> Be so fun. <laughs> I bet they're sweet. <laughs> Just cute little lizard boys. <laughs> oh yeah, they don't they don't care about nothing. Eat some crickets, sit on your shirt for a while. They don't care. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> I uh, all right. Anything? I else had guys? one as a kid. <laughs> oh, uh, really? It like so. Just quick, quick story about Justin and his lizard. Uh, his name no, is Spike. Uh, I got him actually the same year I saw this movie. Uh, my parents uh, worked for a flooring company for ever, um, <laughs> and they got a shipment of tile in and uh, in the crate of all the tile boxes was just a bearded dragon. What? <laughs> so I you took him order, home. Order five boxes of tile and get a free bearded dragon. What? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So uh, my mom, I... uh, being an animal lover, saved him. And uh, I kept him. I had him for about six years. His name was Spike. Aww. <laughs> and I well, missed I... him. Spike. I'm flummoxed. I'm <laughs> baffled. How do... I'm surprised he survived the shipping process. It. I have no idea. Which makes me wonder how many bugs were coming in like with their shipments. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's really cool. I would love to have a reptile pet again one of these days. And uh, at least with bearded dragons, you don't have to worry about them, you know, becoming aggressive. Because they're don't? not like super predators. No, you just dump some crickets in their bin and. <laughs> Oh. They don't care. Well, they're they're not yeah. like snakes. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I don't. I don't think I have anything else to say about holes. I might remember something, you know, th- three hours from now. But that's and we will do our closing discussion. Oh yeah, that's right. We still have discussion questions to go. Yeah, this is going to be a long episode. This is going to be a long one. <laughs> we saw that coming though, didn't we? Yeah. Especially with our <laughs> second half. <laughs> yeah. yeah that you know I've got to get the old box out. Yeah. The box of soap. <laughs> the soap box. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a real quick bake. And, a real quick bake. Bake. And break. <laughs> bake and break. <laughs> we'll be right back after a real quick break. Hi, everyone. Justin here. Thank you so much for checking out our show. You may notice some audio issues during these early episodes as we're recording them at separate locations during quarantine. It is our intention to record in person once it's safe, but for now, we work with what we have. Please follow the recommended guidelines, wear your masks, stay safe, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to Sounds Familiar. Um, slightly different voice than usual. Um, I'm Stephanie, (laughs) but you already knew that. Anyway, um, uh, so for the next part of our show, we're going to be talking about 1994's The Shawshank Redemption. 1995. 1994. Right? I mean, it was at the- September 94. It was up for the 95 Academy Awards. That's why. Yeah, Caleb. Okay. God. <laughs> we anyway. were looking at the Academy Awards or the the awards it was nominated for, and it was the ninety five. God, I th- that Award. entire thing was so offensive. Seven to me. nominations, and it lost every single one of I... them to either Forrest Gump or The Lion King. It, it's oh how God. how do you nominate a film like Shawshank for seven nominations and then not give it any? Like 
That's wild. I know. It's absolutely wild to me because, like, this this movie is one of very few movies that I would call pretty much perfect. Like, or, sorry, one of very few movies that I've seen. Um, I've seen a lot of imperfect movies. <laughs> Maybe not as many perfect ones. But, but... But the fact that, that that it was, there were so many chances, there were seven chances for them to do the right thing here <laughs> and, and make the right like decision. And four of them to Forrest Gump. Right, right. Lion King, I can excuse, like, sure. This was a tough movie year. This was, this was a year where, like, one, you could go see in theaters at, like, you could go to the movies in the middle of the summer and you had the choice to see Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump. Shawshank Redemption, The Lion King. I know. I... <laughs> hey, it feels great for that to be our birth year, huh? Yeah. Like, it was Forrest a good year Gump for was film. released a week before I was born. That's crazy. So, I, I wanted to know who uh, who beat Roger Deakins uh, for cinematography. cinematography. And uh, John Toll for Legends of the Fall, which I have not seen Legends of the Fall, so oh. I will absolutely Let me talk about Legends of the Fall. I hate it. Well, <laughs> okay. That was an okay. in-depth discussion. All right, listen. Okay, so uh, tangent, but I I had heard about Legends of the Fall before, and I got this idea that it was this big like epic, like sort of a proto like American narrative western sort of like romance maybe. Um, and the thing is, it is those things, but in a really unsatisfying way. I like, I don't know. Like, it's, um, like the thing I always return to is like the the famous poster for this has has Brad Pitt like bridal carrying a woman. It looks really romantic, right? Turns out in the actual movie, that woman is dead. Um, that that is not a living woman that he's carrying. Um, it's his dead wife. Um, and she's not even the main romance of the movie. It's him and this other woman, but he he married this this girl who dies, like she's killed, and his main romance was is with this other woman who also dies, and then at the end he dies, and a bunch of other people die, and it's I don't know why I'm, this isn't about Legends of the Fall. Whatever, I I hate that movie. Don't watch it. I mean, do <laughs> like if you like Brad Pitt, but like don't you know like just don't. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of other Brad Pitt vehicles. Exactly, exactly. If you want Brad Pitt with long hair being sexy, uh, watch, Go watch Troy. Troy. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Caleb hasn't even seen Troy, and he knows that's the better option here. No, seriously, it's epic. It's pseudo historical, much like Legends of the Fall. Uh, Brad Pitt has long hair. Uh, he's sexy. Uh, I don't know. The it's end. good. Yeah, I like it. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> Troy at some point. I, I'm a fan of that movie, even though no one talks about it now. Um, anyway. But we're here to talk about the <laughs> yeah. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Which does not have Brad Pitt and is not sexy in a good way. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway, all that is just to say uh, the Shawshank Redemption is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, like, yes. a, a, and it sh- should have gotten all, all the Oscars, frankly. <laughs> like, and, and I think it must say something about where we were at as a society that Forrest Gump swept the Oscars and Shawshank didn't. Um, that feels very nice. America to wasn't me. ready for what Shawshank yeah. Redemption had to say. <laughs> right. Honestly, I think you're right. I think the '90s. I mean, as we know now, now, now we were children at the time, yeah. so we don't really know much about it, but. 
But history tells us that the 90s were a fairly optimistic time for, you know, your average American. Obviously, Rage Against the Machine was out here telling it like it was, but not all, not all <laughs> Americans were. Um, and it, it was an optimistic time, which... Ha- which People were like, we just want something fun and yeah, light. Like Americana. Right. Yeah. It's a, it sells a very... Which, okay, I feel the need to clarify. Unlike Stephanie... I love Forrest Gump. <laughs> I do not love Forrest Gump. I agree that it... <laughs> I do, too. I, I, do I think that Shawshank should have won some, at least some of the awards that Forrest Gump won? Yes. But I... That's, I, anyway. I will concede Best Actor to Tom Hanks. I, I, I think he did a great job. I mean, he's Tom Hanks. He always does a good job. I will not concede Best Picture. Not in the slightest. Like, no. I, I, I think... Now, I think Forrest Gump is a good movie. I don't really like it because I find it kind of schmaltzy and annoying, but that's just me. Obviously, it has a very particular vision of America and the American dream uh, that I do not share, (laughs) Um, but it it feels true to its time. Um, (laughs) Uh, You were saying about the Shawshank Redemption? (laughs) So it, it's wild to me that this is based on a, uh, a Stephen King short. Um, I know. I was amazed when I heard that too. Now I, I don't know anything about this uh, short novel, as I understand it is. Um, it, it's a I, I it's a short it. story in a short story collection he released. Um, the short story is titled Rita Hayworth and the uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, which according to Wikipedia is. In the 1982 collection, Different Seasons. Yeah, see, I I don't know anything about (laughs) it. I know nothing about it except one. Red is actually Irish, which is why Morgan Freeman makes the joke about maybe it's because I'm Irish. (laughs) And two, I've frequently seen this movie listed on lists of movies that are better than the books they're based on. (laughs) Ouch, poor Steven. (laughs) Nothing against Steven, but I'm not surprised. I mean, honestly, (laughs) I haven't read that much Stephen King, but what I have read... I, I. I, it, it, you know, the man has a particular writing style that I'm not the biggest fan of. I think he's a great idea man. I don't always think he's great with the execution. Well, like, he's one of those people that, like, sometimes he's a genius, and then sometimes I'm like, man, you like money. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. We all have to survive in the. Well, we've the all got cocaine machine. habits to feed. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It. Well, what's interesting is, didn't he also write the source material for The Green Mile? Um, I believe so, yes. That's So that's interesting. Like, I would like to read more about that because it seems he has a particular interest in uh, the prison narrative. Um, it, you know, he's normally thought of as a horror writer, but um, that that's an interesting kind of tangent that he's gone on in his, his work that I would like to know more about. Um, now, I, I haven't seen The Green Mile. I, I need to watch it at some point, but I... Ooh, you do. I've seen the first half hour, and I'm never going to see the rest. The thing is, I know what happens in it, and I am really reluctant to see it on screen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I understand. It's worth the watch. It's a fantastic movie, but yeah. it, it, it it's made to hurt you. Yeah. No, I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, I just... <laughs> I feel like I mean even Shawshank Redemption is is difficult to watch at times because it's um you know not only is the subject matter pretty dark but it, it is very um it's very real you know this is not yeah. like a 
fantastical setting. It's an extremely real thing that happens to people more or less, you know, every day. And um, <laughs> that's why I'm a little, a little reluctant. But I, I definitely will watch it. It's um, um, it, you know, I guess we might as well get into personal experiences. Um, you know, I uh, criminal justice reform, um, prison abolition, the. Like, these are topics that are really important to me and that I've taken a very strong interest in the past few years. Um, I feel like... It, now, it is gaining traction, especially in the wake of, like, our, our growing awareness of, like, uh, racial inequality and injustice in America, um, the Black Lives Matter protests. I feel like it's something that more people are starting to kind of wake up to. But um, as a social justice movement, it is almost... I feel like more difficult to get people on board with this because um, the people who suffer from it are basically the exact definition of imperfect uh, according to our, our standards. You know, um, it's very easy to say, look at these innocent X group people, like they don't deserve this. But when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to prison abolition, it's very easy to say, oh, but they do deserve it, you know. Um, so right. it can it's be easy to get people to... on the side of poor kids should have food. Right. And it's much harder to get people on the side of Ted Bundy doesn't deserve the death penalty. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's a hard sell. <laughs> right. But, but that's even the word deserve. Sorry. Once again, we're going kind of tangent here. I promise it's related. Even the word deserve, uh, like, is, is something. Loaded. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's like, does Ted Bundy. <laughs> The word deserve should not right. come into the conversation. Does a murderer the deserve problem. the death penalty? Sure, maybe. But does that mean the state should should kill this person? I, I would argue no, it does not. But, you know, that's a loaded conversation, as is all the conversation around our criminal justice system. Um, but that's part of why I was really excited to do this episode today, because, um, it you know, the movies <laughs> we're getting a little philosophical movies. here about <laughs> the about film as an art form but often our our traditional idea of the the hollywood film is not exactly the most enlightened when it comes to things like criminal justice because it's very much based in this idea of like this cops and robbers uh good versus evil kind of you know the the bad guys get their just desserts kind of thing absolute I, heroes absolute villains right like. exactly and it makes sense because that works on film. You need those stakes to have a good story oftentimes. But that also makes it more difficult through the medium of film to explore these more nuanced ideas of like of of humanizing imperfect people. Now film can do that. Film does do that in a really good way. But it also has a long tradition of you know, kind of separating people out into these very black and white, good and bad dichotomies, uh, which is uh, the opposite of what we need when we're talking about um, criminal justice reform. Anyways, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into more of that later. All See, I knew this would say... happen. Yeah. All that is just to say, uh, we will be talking about that some um, in our discussion of Shawshank Redemption. Um, <laughs> my experience with the movie, <laughs> getting back on track. Um, I actually only saw this for the first time a few years ago. I think I was in college. Um, I, I didn't know much about it before then besides hearing that it was a really good movie. Um, 
but then I finally watched it and it just blew my mind like with how good it was um and and honestly I think like at that time I was kind of starting to get interested in these topics but but really kickstarted my interest because it is so so humanizing like it it is so mm-hmm. empathetic to this situation and really causes you to question the, the you know the very existence of uh, of these uh, prison systems. Um, so it, it was very, I don't know, formative is the right word because I didn't see it as a child, but it, it was very influential to me. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I get more out of it every time I watch it. Honestly, um, what about you, Caleb? The first time I saw it was also when Stephanie was in college. Um, <laughs> Did I see it with you the first time? Like, it's, was that the first time I saw it? I can't remember. It's possible, but not likely, given your penchant for not wanting to watch things <laughs> with me that I haven't seen before. I get nervous <laughs> watching things with Caleb because, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm constantly wondering, like, what if he doesn't like it? <laughs> and, like, I can't concentrate, you know? I That's... Honestly, the first time I see a movie, if it's something I really care about paying close attention to, I like to watch it by myself. Um, or at least, like, that doesn't mean I can't go to a theater and see it, but I like to be by myself, like, like without people I know, um, <laughs> which sounds bad. I just, I like to be able to focus and I really can't if I'm with people I know because I'm like, oh God, what are they thinking? I- I'm really bad with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, absolutely fair. <laughs> what about you, Justin? Uh, so... It took me a while to actually watch this movie. Um, this is one of those movies that, like, uh, my parents, especially my dad, uh, would be watching whenever it was on TV. Um, you know, I sit and watch it. So I caught bits and pieces of it here and there growing up, but uh, I was too young to, like, get the movie, so I never sat down and watched it. I think the first time I watched it all the way through was in one of my uh, film classes at uh, UCF. Um, we watched it, and I liked it, but I was also incredibly hungover because college. So this is actually uh, the first time I have watched this movie not feeling like trash uh, as an adult, and boy, does it deserve all of the... Uh, all of its recognition that it's gotten, like, I uh, because I've mostly, this is one of those movies that I've mostly understood through references to it. Um, before <laughs> we were recording, we were talking about that Family Guy bit, but I, I can't tell you one uh, comedy or even some uh, dramas that do not reference. Yep. Uh, it's very Shawshank influential. Like, yeah. it, which is funny because I, like, before I saw it, I actually wasn't aware of, of how much of an impact it had had on, on the culture, you know? it, But it was only after I saw it that I started to recognize those references everywhere, and I was like, oh, wow, this was actually really influential. It, <laughs> which is funny. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I hear about other films from the same time period more, like Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction. Um, mm-hmm. But, um... It it makes sense that it had a lasting impact, you know. It, it it is definitely a movie that hits you hard and does not let go. I I I it's had such an impact. I I can't watch this movie without some some undercurrent in my brain 
going family guy yeah the the, like, the family guy stephen king I, episode it's yeah. it's other movies and tv shows have so ruined me that like when morgan freeman starts his narration my first thought was that doesn't sound like morgan freeman it's like you're actually more handsome than the guy that's famous for being handsome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're actually more more Morgan so, Freeman than the guy who's Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. <laughs> I I wonder if like this this movie gets buried uh, specifically by those other two because you talk to some people. And you want to bring up movies from this era, and like, especially if you're around your family or something, like, oh, Forrest Gump, that like, kind of feel good Tom Hanks movie. Uh, and then when you're with like other people, it's like, oh, have you seen Pulp Fiction, dude? Like, I have not. <laughs> it's and, honestly, uh, I feel like it's like a political compass, but instead of political, <laughs> it's like a personality compass. You have your Forrest Gump people, your Pulp Fiction people, and your Shawshank Redemption people. And your Lion King people. Okay, we can't th- leave that's out. true. That's true. There's Lion King people as well. Now, some of us inter- intersect, obviously, but it's. About to say that's put all those in a blender and I come out as a smoothie. Yeah, honestly, that's true. That that seems like the perfect. That's Justin how you summon concoction. Justin. Yeah, <laughs> you blend up four D four DVD copies of those movies. Uh, right. You toss the dust into the wind and he assembles. <laughs> um, wait, I'm sorry. That actually does kind of work as a political compass. You have your like upper right is Forrest Gump. Your bottom right is Pulp Fiction. Your bottom left is Lion King. Your top left is Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I'll let sure. the audience decide if that okay. works or not. You can make that and tweet it. Sure. Make the post. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, great movie to say the least. Um, and I'm happy that it came out the same year that I was born. Um <laughs> All right, so let's see. Do we want to get into notes, guys? Stephanie, I have would you a like few. to provide us with a summary? Oh, right. Caleb doesn't have any notes. Uh, oh, and also we need to do a summary. Okay, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So there's this guy. There's that guy. <laughs> he he go to the jail, and then he run away. <laughs> and that's uh, He lived happily ever after. I mean, honestly... And we'll see you yeah. next time. <laughs> honestly, that's the movie. Um... No, it okay, so the the movie is a little meandering plot wise. Uh that's the closest thing to a complaint I can give it. Um even that's not really a complaint, it's just kind of a statement. It's yeah, it it, it doesn't give you all of the information up front, yeah. much like holes. <laughs> what a weird <laughs> sentence to say. Uh Shawshank Redemption does this thing, you know, just like Holes two thousand three. Um <laughs> And so the initial mystery is our main character, our protagonist, is sent to Shawshank Prison after being convicted for the murder of his wife and her lover. Yes. Um, the truth of that mystery is held out for a fair, fair a while. A long time. Wait, that's true, and that's kind of something we're already interrupting the summary, but that's something that I actually noted um, in my notes <laughs> was that... Um, we're not actually told whether or not Andy committed the crime until pretty well into the story. So one almost ha- has to infer that that is intentional, that, that that's not the question we are right. supposed to have. The, it does not matter to the story whether or not he is innocent or guilty. And I say that because 
it is the crime he is convicted of is a crime that most people would still be like, well, that's kind of understandable. So he, even if he is guilty, he's not painted as the worst guy ever, right? It doesn't conflict. Even whether he is innocent or guilty does not reflect on the other things that the movie is trying to say. It's, and I think that is kind of why we are never told specifically what Red's crime is, because he's also because one of matter. our leads, right? That it's once again uh, both this and Holes like kind of make use of what like what they don't say in a good way. I think because once you say something, once you lay it out there, once you tell the audience what a character's crime is, it becomes less about the character and it becomes more about the crime. You know, and that can be used to good effect, obviously. Like, we see, like, with Stanley and Zero, the shoes thing. Like, that, there's actually a point to that. But, um, it, in this kind of story, if you, if you specifically tell the audience they went to jail because of insert bad thing they did here, Mm -hmm. then you're constantly thinking about that and constantly evaluating, well, do I think they deserve what happened to them or not? But that's not what it's about, so that's why we aren't told that. Like, it actually, interestingly, uses the audience ignorance uh, to its benefit. Like, because you knowing that is not the point. What what the yeah. point is, is what has happened now as a result of that crime. Um, and as uh, Andy says, I had to go to prison to learn how to be a crook. Yeah. Or to be a crook. I don't remember if he said to learn how. <laughs> right. We, we'll also get into that, I think. Um so how it changes people. Yeah, it was. Andy okay, Dufresne but... is, in, is is convicted of murdering his wife and her lover and is sent to Shawshank Prison. Yes. Um, where he meets a whole colorful cast of characters and makes new friends along the way. <laughs> I um, mean, yeah, essentially. Um, well, that's where he meets kind of our secondary protagonist, Red. Right. Who much in like some Holes, ways he is the protect. He's like the Watson character to to Andy's they, sh- exactly. Sherlock. So he's that's like, yeah, he's the. He's the narrator, and in some ways, he is the lead. Like, he's telling the story. The whole thing is from his perspective. That's true. He is the the narrator. Right. He's telling the story about Andy, but in telling it about Andy, he kind of finds his own story, which is kind of a beautiful thing to me upon subsequent rewatches. Yeah, because in the... In the end, like the last fifteen or twenty minutes, uh, you don't even see Andy again. Right, the last it shot. becomes like, it red story. Red. Yeah, yeah, because you're not sure how it's going to end. Like you're not sure. Like uh, he has seen what Andy could do, but he's not yet sure if he can do the same thing. If he can uh, attain that, um, which I think is a nice little like. It's hard to tell like who the protagonist is. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it really is supposed to be a dual sort of story. Yes. To finish up our summary, <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> we, he, he, he meets the other inmates, and uh, we find out about the, the corruption within the the prison from the people who are running it. Yeah, the warden is using him for his, his smarts, essentially, his experience um, as a banker. And it's not just the warden. Uh, the... The head of security literally kills a guy on his first night in the prison. Oh, so it's about how, like, yeah. the... the Mr. Krabs. <laughs> oh, how could you? He's also Lex Luthor. Let's, let's... Wait, really? Yeah. He voiced Lex Luthor yeah. in the Justice League animated series. That makes series. sense. I could definitely see that. Um, <laughs> Mr. Krabs, no. 
And I mean, like, this isn't like, oh, he cracks him over the head once and the guy's dead. This is a visceral beating yeah. of this person. And then it's, he slowly oh died over the course of the entire night because the doctor it's, had already gone home. Honestly, I might as well bring up Ugh. this note that I have now. I was going to wait till later. But I really appreciate the way this movie kind of handles its really dark, like, violent subject matter. In that there is some really grim stuff that happens here. There's suicide, there's rape, there's essentially someone murdering an inmate, you know. Um, multiple. The, multiple yes, murderings yeah. of inmates. It, it feels yeah. tasteful, I guess is what I would say. Uh, which is a weird way, I know, it's a well, weird way to put it. Uh, it doesn't feel gratuitous. It feels as if it really conveys the weight of these things. It's not point. It's not violence for violence' sake. It is all for a point, for right. a purpose. It doesn't need to be. It is gra- serving the story. Right. Him beating up um, the the first inmate, you know, that is that ends up dying. It's not. We don't need to see this man's bones breaking to know like what is happening is terrible. You know, yeah. the way it is framed, it, it clearly conveys to us how how bad this is without being graphic and without being, like, voyeuristic, you know, and I appreciate that, and I think it's part of why I'm able to rewatch this film, is that mm-hmm. you don't see the terrible things happening up close and personal, but that doesn't take away from their impact. Like, you, you very clearly know, like, how bad this is, but it's not difficult to watch if that makes sense because it kind it of is a little I mean, bit. It, okay yes it uh, it is not an easy watch i'll put it that way but yeah our lead is literally in the first half of the movie raped several times for two and years straight yes it's horrible a, as, and i'm glad we're spared uh, Caleb, seeing it as Caleb said earlier, a lesser movie would have made a bigger deal out of that or maybe, like, showed it to you because they didn't have the nuance to, like, explain yeah. why that's awful without just being gratuitous with it. Right. Uh, and this movie handles subjects like that with such grace and delicacy. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm imagining uh, this being, like, an HBO show and us having to sit through five minutes of someone being beaten to death or someone being raped. Like, I really yeah. don't need to see that, you know? <laughs> no offense to HBO, I love some of your output, but um, it, it's like, <laughs> we, we don't need to to essentially be voyeuristic observers to the suffering of these people mm-hmm. to know what is happening. And I think that's very intentional. You know, it's, it, it feels personal. Like you, like when, um, when Brooks commits suicide, you know, that it feels like we are there. It feels like we are seeing it, but, um, not in a way that we are forced to go through all the awful details of it. We just, you just kind of know, like it gives you just enough. And I think that's good. Um, that's not to say, I don't think it could have been, it couldn't have been a little more graphic and gotten away with it. I think it could, um, you know, because it it is a very honest look at this really grim subject matter. But, but like I said, I do appreciate the kind of the subtleties in how it's handled. Um, it makes it feel all the more poetic, almost like everything has sort of 
like it's symbolic almost as opposed to literal. Like it, it is literal, but you know what I mean. It, this movie has a lot of things to say if you're willing to listen. Yeah. Oh, extremely. it's very easy to just watch it and be like, that was a good movie. <laughs> Which I do, but yeah. But if you're watching it and like actually trying to absorb its messages, like, like how Red talks about institutionalization, and that's what that's what happened to Brooks. He he couldn't handle it on the outside. He was he was an probably an a septon oct- or octogenarian who was you know forced out of the, his comfort zone and forced to like go bag groceries with his arthritis and didn't know what to do and was scared and um the as the movie goes on the what it has to say about the sheer amount of a man's life that can be spent in prison by the time the red gets out he's been in for 40 years there's that great line um that that red says um they sentence you to life and that's exactly what they take or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's devastating, you know. It um, when they're talking, they're talking about Brooks in that part, um, and you know, Red here is kind of. It's a great scene because we're kind of seeing him step out of the narrator role and actually like Into giving the these great insights as a character to the people he's talking to. And he's there, there. You know, he's talking to the one guy who's kind of an asshole, and he's like. Oh, like, they could never institutionalize me. I'd get out of here the moment I could. And he's like, well, you try saying that when you've been here as long as he has. You know, when when this has essentially consumed your entire life. Your right, entire he said identity. he saw a car once when he was a kid. Yeah. The, again, the, the, the little Brooks segment, I know every time I'm like, this time I won't cry, and every time yeah. I do cry. I mean, Red had already been there for, yeah. what, 20 years when Andy got there? Yeah. And it was another 20 before he got out. Right, exactly. And it's He had been in there twice as three times his life span. Like he had been there twice as long as he had been out. And that's kind of why it's incredible that he gets the ending that he does is beca- because mm-hmm. it's honestly more even more so than with Andy, the question is whether Red can can break the institutionalization because he's been there so much longer and he is older than Andy and there's that kind of great sequence where it's kind of comparing his experience to Brooks and we know what it did to Brooks and we know how that story ended. So it's kind of that Chekhov's gun that you're questioning whether it will be fired. Yes. Cause uh, so at the end when, when red gets out, he he goes through the same thing Brooks did and ended up even in the same room. But yeah, that shot where he walks in and he's uncertain about himself in a circumstance and he looks up and he sees Brooks was here uh, it, uh, but so the powerful. thing that saves him so is Andy did not get institutionalized. He never let that happen to himself. Right. He, he held on to his hope, and that affected everyone else. That affected Red, which is what allowed Red to not uh, do the same thing that Brooks did mm-hmm. and actually led him to following Andy. Right. It's um, the same thing as Holes. It's the connection that you find to other people, like the hope that you find through through finding your humanity and that of people around you like that's that's what brings you out of that of, of that's what brings you out of prison like mentally spiritually that's what brings you out of that not some kind of bullshit rehabilitation that being locked in a cell provides you you know so so um brief brief tangent uh, <laughs> go for it off of 
off of the movie, but dealing with um, the same uh, topic. So I'm not I'm not gonna plug it because I can't see it anywhere anyway, and it feels a little gross uh, plugging anything talking about the subject matter. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but when when I was shooting my documentary, um, oh. a lot a lot of the inmates you talk to um, the older ones, and um, keep in mind uh, most of the inmates in my documentary. Um, are nonviolent. It's uh, all substance abuse or drug-related crimes. But the older ones in there, they tell you that uh, they've lived their life uh, and spent so much time uh, in these places that that's why um, the uh, uh, the recidivity rate is so terrible because they they get out and they have nothing uh, no place to go um most of their families have written them off they have nothing to do so where else are they going to go but back into that same cycle and um it, it's it's heartbreaking and it's something that is a uh it's a plague in our country especially um specifically with minority groups and yep. this movie uh, really especially for being made in the, the 90s uh, early to mid 90s yeah uh, navigates that with such humanity and grace that i i really i i really appreciated uh this rewatch of that after going through that experience and talking to people who have been in similar situations no justin i actually do want you to plug that at the end if if we remember to tell you to do that because I feel like, okay. no, it really is important. Like, it's important for people to see this real-life stuff. Like, it's important to remind people that this is not just stuff happening in a movie. Like, this is realer than real, you know? This is happening everywhere around you. I mean, there is a, a county jail literally probably less than a mile from yeah, where I live. Yeah, less than a mile from our house. You know, and, and I Too think about drive. it all the time. I think about, you and know, the proximity that I I freely move on the earth, you know, and these people can't. And, I, and that and, haunts me. And of. when they get released, they can't even leave unless they have a car ride to come pick them up. Exactly. It's, it's all insane. It's yes. like the socioeconomic barriers like to people. It's insane. And I mean, even not even all of that has even begun to be addressed in this movie. Like it I, right, this movie can only say so much. Right, there's there's plenty of you know. I think if this this movie was made today, whether or not that could actually happen, but I think if it was made today, there would be more said about the intersections of like race and class upon, uh, you know, the incarcerated population because that is a very important conversation to have because it's not it's not equal, it's not proportional, but um. You know, for what it is, it does the important work of, like, the baseline humanizing of people in these situations, which is the the fundamental starting point. You know, until you begin to see people who are incarcerated as humans, you, you know, that you can't do anything unless you can first view it that way. And that is uh, an important part of this. <laughs> Sorry, we got way <laughs> off track there. Uh, but, that's okay. But no, that's we okay. We can jump back to our notes. Stephanie yeah. has plenty to rip oh, I've off got of. Pl- I have a, a whole lot. Wow. Um, well, uh, did we even get all the way through the summary? <laughs> I would say we got good enough. We got, we got good yeah. Enough. Um, oh, and then he escapes at the end. Yeah. There you go. That's... Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Just a couple of things that I had. Um, I, I made a note about the the kind of the 
bookending the three-act structure of Red's parole hearings. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called? Um, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, I thought that was an interesting thing because um, having not seen the movie in a couple of years before I rewatched it this time, I thought it was only um, twice that he went to a hearing, but then rewatching it, I realized it's actually three times. Uh, it's yeah, it's every every ten, every 10 years, years. It yeah. seems like. Yeah. Once at the beginning, uh, right around the same time as Andy is sentenced, and that yep. it kind of establishes them as these dual protagonists, like, in a way, they're both sentenced at the exact same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Andy is sentenced for the first time, and Red is sentenced to another 10 years, essentially. Um, and then the second time, once again, uh, at the 10-year mark, he, he is interviewed again. And each time, these first two times, it's um, they reject him. And he, he tries to he tries to say what... He thinks they want him to say. Right, what they And the want second to time, you can tell he's... He's lost. He's not even trying to be sincere. He's just saying the words. He just wants to get out of there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally, the third time. Oh, love this. I know. It's very fascinating to me. It's a good monologue. <laughs> not to bring it back to Family Guy again, but they did parody it a little bit with like pointing out how he basically tells them to go fuck themselves, and yet this is the time he gets really. <laughs> Um, it's a little funny Um, but it's fascinating on a a couple of levels like it's fascinating on a character level because it shows he has finally given up on this idea of rehabilitation he has realized that it's all bullshit and like and that you know that they're not gonna just let him out because he says he was helped like because he wasn't helped like it it's it's not really up to him. The system is just going to keep him there as long as it wants to. And he kind of sees that now. And um, also, I, I kind of thought it was interesting. It kind of shows the evolution of the time periods. Like, it starts in the 40s, then it's in the 50s, then it's in the 60s. And I don't know if this was intentional or not. But, you know, the third time, it's, I believe, 1967... This is, like, right on the heels of the civil rights movement, so maybe we're meant to mm-hmm. think that there has been kind of an evolution of understanding among the people <laughs> who are... You think the parole officers let him out because of white guilt? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I honestly don't know. It... I mean, it's really sad when he goes into his third one and it's a completely different guy who's clearly only, like, in his 20s. Yeah, it's a very And Red young has man. been seeing a different seven. person every time and they just keep getting younger and younger. Right, and it's such an odd, like, it's like this this young white man, like... Here to decide this fate, uh, the fate uh, of right. this man who has been in prison for 40 years, it... longer than he's been alive. Exactly, and it's such an oddly humiliating situation. Like, um, and yet it, it does kind of show that evolution of the understanding, I guess, of, of, I don't know, the prison system. And obviously it was the 60s, so it's not like they were that far along. But even so, even within that, <laughs> it, I think, you know, it is interesting that that third time he, his release is accepted, you know, um, but I did have a note about that, um, which was a little sobering to me. Um, I said the uh, the perhaps rather dark implication that 
Red was finally released because he was clearly so institutionalized that he had become a completely different person. Like, um, when he has that little monologue in, in the third hearing, he talks about his younger self as if it was someone that he that had no connection to him almost like that was a completely different person. Like he says, if I could talk to the young man who committed that terrible crime, I I would try to tell him the way things are and talk sense to him. And it's like, yeah, the only way he is eligible for release is by no longer even being the same person. The, the soul has completely split. There's the man that was before and the man that was after and he's only able to be released because he literally is not the same person. It's, you know, and that's, like, it's good because he's able to get out. But it's also, you know, rather sobering because it's, the, that's, what, that's what institutionalization is. It's, it's a meat grinder for human souls. Like, it, people go in and other people come out. And, and you know, the, <laughs> that's what's kind of evidenced with Red. I mean, his has a good ending. But not everyone does. Um, anyway, and uh, let me just let me just piggyback on that note. Yeah. Um, and yes, like I know there's going to be people, maybe not listening to our podcast, but people hear that argument and they say, "Oh, but you know, it was a good thing because he came out a better person." Uh, that is absolute best case scenario most <laughs> yeah. of the times uh, when people come out of prison and they are changed. It is not. In a good way. Those are broken people. It, it, right. I don't have all the answers. I'm just a podcaster and a comedian, <laughs> but fuck. Right, and and <laughs> I think that only the most brainwashed of people would, argue, would try to argue that our current penal system is there to actually reform people. People who actually understand it and somehow still support it would say, oh, it's not there to reform people, it's there to punish them, or there to keep them away from society. You know, that, I mean, I don't agree, but, like, at least they are honest about what it is. You know, I, I think there are very few people who would argue that what we have currently actually produces, you know, better members of society, and I think this movie kind of explores that. Like, what Caleb mentioned earlier, with Andy saying, like, I had to go to prison to become a crook, like... He, he only became a, a dishonest, quote-unquote, person because he had to, to survive. Like, that wasn't who he was before, but, but that was the circumstances he was dealt, you know? Um, okay, whew. Um. <laughs> uh, there's also, uh, not going to dwell on it too long because it is a touchy subject, uh, there is a little bit of uh, performative religion uh, being used as a guise for... Uh, cruelty. Oh, extremely. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. No, no. I, I actually had a note about that, too. <laughs> I found the biblical allusions to be uh, that, sorry, that's allusions with an A, not an I, uh, to be extremely <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a little funny that the warden's wife just, like, did a cross stitch of <laughs> his judgment cometh and that right soon. Like that's a nice thing for a little old lady to knit, I guess. Um, <laughs> the, the warden makes me crocheting uncomfortable yeah. for deeply personal reasons. Oh no, 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 no. I, I love the warden as a character it, while agreeing with you, what you said, I love the warden because he feels like a very, very real character. Like to me, mm -hmm. um, 
And um, the corrupt prison warden, that's uh, that's a recurring character archetype we see in these type of that's movies. Um, and it's like, obviously being a prison warden has its problematic elements, even if you're not corrupt. Like, you're still kind of enslaving people, but the fact that they are corrupt kind of is a necessary element because it shows the hypocrisy. Like, you know, people... People have their good sides and bad sides, regardless of who they are, but because they happen to be on the right side of the law, quote-unquote, aka they haven't gotten caught, you know, they get to dictate what's right and what's wrong for everyone else. Um, and, and yeah, just the biblical stuff I I really liked, especially that great scene where the warden <laughs> is in his cell and um, uh, he uh, <laughs> is asking, like, what's what's Andy's favorite Bible verse? And he says something like, uh, you know not when the master cometh. Or... So the, and he's obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he's referring to the warden. And then, of course, later on, he <laughs> he says, you know, you're right, judge, uh, not judgment, salvation did lie within. He's talking about the Bible. And, of course, that's where he kept the rock hammer, which with which he was able to tunnel to freedom. His salvation literally lay within the book. And, and the first page that, like, uh, wasn't torn... It was when he opened the book. It was the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let my people go. <laughs> um, yes, right. And and he used the warden's kind of sanctimoniousness against him because he insisted everyone have a Bible. He wanted them to read it, and because he made a show of being so into reading it, the warden never looked in it and never treated it as suspect. And so yeah. with the <laughs> with the master's tools, he was able to dismantle the master's house. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did like that. I actually liked how um, kind of the <laughs> the many complexities of religion were used. Um, okay, let's see. Other notes, guys? I, I have um, a million, but just, you know. Uh, going back to the ways that, that Andy never lost his hope and that it impacted everyone else. Um that he is constantly trying to make life better for everyone else there to show them that they can still hold on to their humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he, he writes letters to the state for funds for a library uh, every week for two years. Um, the first big thing that he does is <laughs> give his like uh, fellow inmates the chance to sit on a roof and drink beers like free men and feel like they were free for you know a, a couple minutes. Yeah, it's really beautiful, and I think, I think it's why I I almost hesitate to call him the protagonist. I almost want, like, right. it's why I use the Sherlock and Watson thing because it's like, I feel like he is the central character, but it's more like he it's not so much told directly from his point of view as he's almost this messiah figure sort of, where yeah. he always has that sort of. Uh, degree of removal from everything like uh, I think Red says um, it's like he has an invisible coat that would would shield him from this place Um, and um, you know that I think that has the narrative function it's like it's not even so much about him as a person as it's about him as an inspiration to people around him Um, and if anything, Red is like more humanized because he's the one learning from this and we kind of hear his inner monologue about the events that are happening. Um, but also like with Andy, I think that in itself is sort of a, a parable about, you know, using your privilege to help people that don't have as much. 
because he, you know, he does stand out from everyone else because he's very educated. Like, he was high status on the outside. He was a banker. Um, mm-hmm. But he he doesn't... He doesn't put on airs about it, you know? <laughs> he doesn't act as if that makes him better. He, he actually does use it to help the people that are there. Um, you know, even the people who... Even the guards, even the people who are... <laughs> You know, the oppressors, more or less. Um, come, they, all, his oppressors come to rely on him, which ends up being their undoing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. It's great. It, it's a great little narrative twist there. Um, and I liked that. I like how it was kind of like... Uh, he is... there. There's the motif of, of birds in the, um, in the story. You know, um, Brooks has the little bird, Jake... Um, Jake. It lives in his pocket. Adorable. Oh, God. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, God, I can't remember. Does Jake die? Does Did they do something know, horrible Jake to Jake? Die? Like, whenever whenever Brooks is holding what's-his-name by the by the throat with a knife, I'm like, oh, God, the guards took Jake and they killed him. <laughs> but no, it's okay. Jake's fine. It's just Jake's the fine. sort of movie where you would expect the bird to die because it's a metaphor for hope dying or something like that. Uh, but, uh, fortunately. When, when Brooks is sitting on the park bench and he's like I, I feed know. the birds and I hope Jake I comes by but he never does I was like you didn't have to do that to me <laughs> Justin every time that is where the tears start to come like they're always about to come and then when he's like when he starts talking about the bird literally I can physically Ugh. feel the tears coming to my eyes it's every goddamn time I mean I <laughs> I'm an animal person, and so it's like, I can completely relate to that. Like, if I was in prison and I could find any animal, like, it could be a fucking cockroach. Like, the grossest animal you could find, if I could just have an animal that I could have a bond with, like, that would do so much for me. So I completely understand that arc that he has. And, like, and the bird is, it's not just a, (laughs) the bird is not just a bird. (laughs) The bird is a metaphor, the, but the 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 metaphor of birds. You know, birds can fly. Birds are not bound to are not bound to the earth in the same ways that we are, and and that's why it's kind of a recurring theme. You know, in the movie, Red describes Andy as like you know, some birds aren't meant to be caged. You know, and their their feathers are too bright. Um, they have to be able to soar away, but. But things are so much duller when they're gone, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. so Jake is like <laughs> the little bird is a manifestation of that. When he flies away, it's like it's like hope flying away. Um, and and that's why it hits so hard. It's <laughs> the, oh. the the oh. metaphors. <laughs> um, but 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 yes, I think that's great too. And in a way, Andy. I guess, yeah, more accurately than a messiah figure, he is a bird. You know, he is a beautiful, brightly colored bird who who can't be caged. Like, he, he has to be able to fly. Um, and eventually he does. And, um, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's another part of why I love this movie is that it's... You know, it feels very grounded, it feels very real, but at the same time, there are so many layers of symbolism and metaphor to it um, that you, you honestly get more out of it on every rewatch. Um, and now, 
25 minutes of your hosts sniffling. <laughs> <laughs> just just ASMR of me uh, crying while watching Shawshank Redemption. Um, <laughs> um, but, but yes, I, I don't know. I like the way that's handled. Um, I like, I don't know. I, I know um, Morgan Freeman was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie, which is absolutely deserved. Um, Mm -hmm. I also, honestly, I really like Tim Robbins' performance. It, it's very subtle. You know, he, one thing he does not do very much is emote. Um, and and a lot of times I would count that as a strike against a performance, but in this case, I actually like it. I like that he's kind of constantly holding something back because it feels true to the character. It's like... As much as he seems like the protagonist, he's supposed to be kind of mysterious. Like, he has this this odd kind of ethereal quality that everyone around him is sort of trying to guess at, but can never quite get to, if that makes sense. No, uh, and uh, sometimes that, that subtlety uh, to his performance... Um... Particularly the scene I'm thinking of is when Andy and Red are um, sitting on the wall after uh, Andy has uh, gotten out of the hole for two yeah. months. And they're having that conversation about how hope yeah. uh, it can break you. He, uh, his, his subdued nature really, I think, was the best acting choice he could no, absolutely. There. He was like making sweeping, uh, sweeping declarations and stuff like that. That would have been hokey but this was very it it felt very real there's there's right there's always something like underneath there's something like vibrating something simmering you know and and you can kind of feel that it's like we're never quite privy to it completely but you can he has this i don't know almost this i don't want to say crazed look but he has this very far away look in his eyes that i feel like is very important for the character as if he can see something beyond the walls that that no one else mm-hmm. can, um, and, and that's why he almost is kind of like I said this messianic figure that that sort of shows the way to people who can't who can no longer see it. Um, God, and and I love that scene. Um, it it's um, we remarked upon it me and Caleb watching it <laughs> extolling the virtues of our Lord and Savior Roger Deakins um, the cinematographer uh, um, oh, how they're sitting in the shadows yes. and Andy stands up and walks towards the light this beautiful diagonal slant of, sh- of light and shadow the wall and the open air it and um, Andy is sitting in the dark Red comes up and sits with him against the wall yeah. and then Andy says his line get busy living or get busy dying and he stands up and walks toward the light yeah. Leaving Red no choice but to either sit there or follow him. Get Yeah, get busy living or get busy dying. Right, exactly. It's it's incredible to watch, and it sounds like a simple thing to describe it. Like, obviously, light and shadow, you're going to experiment with that, but that's another thing that this movie does really well, is light and darkness. Um, mm-hmm. There are those incredibly, like, beautiful, like, chilling moments when they're sitting in the cells and the lights go off one by one, and you hear that devastating almost like a crashing sound of one light going off after another and you see like you see red sitting on his bed and you you hear the lights going off you hear them approaching getting closer and closer and then like thunk like 
darkness. It, it It's such, like, a helpless quality just sitting there waiting for the dark to come. And it it's really beautiful, honestly. I, <laughs> it's, like I said, <laughs> it sounds rudimentary to talk about, you know, cinematography making use of light and shadow. But, but the way Roger Deakins does it, it's it it feels like there is so much meaning to it, like beyond just the right. the obvious. Um, kind of that feeling of there's first helplessness and then there's agency. You know, there's helplessness mm-hmm. because you are sitting in a cell waiting for darkness to fall, but there's agency in that you are standing up and walking out of it. Um, I, I could talk Roger about Deakins is an absolute wizard, and if you do not believe us, go watch the behind the scenes for 1917 Honestly, and shut your yes, mouth. It, it, <laughs> I, I eventually will watch every movie he has done cinematography for, because every time I'm, I'm blown away at how beautiful it is. Like, even, mm-hmm. even with very low-key kind of suburban films, like, um, you know, his work with Sam Mendes, um, American Beauty, Revolutionary Road... Um, these are movies that take place almost entirely within like normal looking houses, but the way he's able to, to just give this degree of like pathos and and just, just incredible beauty to these incredibly ordinary circumstances. Like I, uh, the man could do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Anyway, um, do we have any more specific notes we want to hit? Oh, um, yeah, I had one more thought. Um, uh, like when we were talking about um, after Andy did, you know, did time in the hole a lot of time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I noticed that. Um, let's see, what did my note say? Um, it was only when he finally realized he was never going to be released the legal way that Andy decided to escape. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. almost as if this whole time he had hope <laughs> that that if the truth would just come out. You know, then he could get out of here. He could escape the the legal way, the the way that is sanctioned by society. You know, when it comes out eventually that um, someone else killed his wife and her lover, like that, maybe that would be his ticket out of there. But <laughs> the warden literally has someone killed to keep that truth from coming out because now he's culpable. Because if Andy gets out. You know, Andy knows the truth of his wrongdoing. It's, you know, it's selfishness all the way down. But it, that was kind of an interesting development to me because it's like, it feels as if that was the the moment when his hope really almost was destroyed because that whole time Mm -hmm. he was hoping, like, if the truth just comes out, if we get enough evidence, if it can be proven that I didn't do it, then the legal system will work to my benefit and let me out. Um, but but the thing is, the legal system is only as good as the people who are in power. And if the people who are in power don't want you to go, then, you know, you're, you're not going to go. Um, That's why it, it's even more heartbreaking because a big reason why they won't let him leave is because he made himself too useful to them uh, with his attempts to make prison life better for yeah uh, his fellow inmates so like his own generosity ended up shooting him in the foot and that is a sad but true yep. uh i don't want to say lesson <laughs> but i don't know the other word for it well, 
It's a dark yeah, realization. So <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. He was just trying to do the right thing. And, and because he was doing that, you know, people took advantage of him. Um, but it was only after that happened that he realized he had to go outside the system, you know, to to reclaim his 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 life um, because the system was not going to let him go. And that's, yeah. you know, that's a depressing thing because there are a lot of people who want you to work within the system, even today. Like, like if we just work within the system diligently enough, we can, we can fix it. But the thing is, the system is des- designed to keep you from fixing it. You know, it, it doesn't want you to fix it. So, and, and that's what he, that's what he has to realize. He has to realize that he has to make his own path. Um, <laughs> Kills like, um, all right. Um, I have more, but we can we can wait on that till our closing discussion. Okay, Justin, anything else? I think not, unless you want to be here for five hours. <laughs> okay. Honestly, same. We may same. yet, because um, yeah. we still are moving on to our discussion questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Let's let's take a short break. Hi, everyone. We are back from break number two, and I think we were going to get right into our discussion questions. So, Stephanie, hit us with something. <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm the one <laughs> with all the discussion questions. Um, okay, so my first one is just kind of a general thing. Like, um, which, uh, which similarities between these two films did you notice? Uh, discuss their role in creating a sort of archetypical prison narrative. Well, that's a little a little broad. Well, but... <laughs> I'm gonna start out by addressing the elephant of the room that we haven't made a joke about yet. Um, both of our movies feature white protagonists <laughs> who are innocent of the crimes they're convicted of, and their black best friend who is guilty of the crime they're convicted of. Because that makes it more. Especially... <laughs> <laughs> we'll just throw in the Family Guy audio there. Oh my god, that's for use. Um... <laughs> Please, that would be hilarious. Um. Yes, that is kind of impossible to overlook. Um, in both cases, it it does have to be noted that they kind of center a white character. Um, and of course are aware enough of the disproportionate impact of the uh, prison industrial complex on uh, black Americans. They're aware of it enough to include <laughs> the next most important character. <laughs> Yeah. As a black person. Hey, in the, in holes, half the kids at Camp Green Lake are white. Sorry, I meant to say that only half, <laughs> only half of I them. Mean, are that's white. true. Yes, yes. Um, there there is at least a a little bit of an awareness. Now, what's fascinating is that Shawshank Redemption is initially set in the '40s, and yet no one is racist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we, there was too much yeah. awfulness in this movie. We we didn't have yeah, time exactly. to squeeze the racism in. Exactly. <laughs> Which, now that you mention it, it is interesting that um, Holes, of all movies between the two, uh, handles race relations more than Shawshank does. uh, (laughs) Because that is the entire reason everything happens with uh, Sam and Kate. Frank Darabont probably sat down with his screenplay and was like, okay, we don't, (laughs) we, we don't. 
we can only address so many things. Yes. It <laughs> I I think that I don't know. Mm. I don't necessarily think it takes away from the movie that that's not addressed, but it could have also been a race blind casting because the character of Red was initially yes, white. Yeah, Although he was Irish, which means people in the 40s were, there's still a good chance of them being racist <laughs> yeah, towards him. for some reason. Um, yeah, I, I have kind of wondered about that. I'm like, was it race blind or were they specifically like, it would make more sense if this character was a black man? Um, I bet we could Google that, but I don't know what words that <laughs> yeah, would uh, to type in that would lead me directly to that answer, so I'm mm-hmm. just going to move on. So there is that shared kind of, I don't know if you want to call it like a subtrope or something, of the uh, the the white main character and the the black secondary character, um, also. Oh God, like psych. Oh my God, <laughs> uh, Delay Hill. There you go. Worlds within worlds. Um, <laughs> Jesus, worlds within worlds. Uh, side note: Delay Hill has the saddest eyes of any man he I've ever seen. He has the most seen. soulful eyes. It's just—it mm-hmm. makes my heart beat so fast. It's just <laughs> amazing. <laughs> like that's like that's like all of the emotional like pathos of holes like right there contained within Delay Hill's puppy dog eyes. <laughs> Okay. What? Yeah. What so other... Back to the story structure. <laughs> Not talking about Delay Hill's beautiful sad eyes. All right. They both feature prison escape. Yeah. Um. um uh. Redemption. Ult- ultimate redemption. The in, in in holes. Yes. The curse breaking is much clearer, but this the other one is literally called the Shawshank. It's redemption. individual curse breaking in the case of the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it's just about the individual because, like, the warden leaves also. Everyone that is responsible for the corruption at Shawshank is done away with. Yes. Sorry, so, I meant individual redemption, individual uh, growth, as opposed to, like, Stanley redeeming his grandfather's great great grandfather's legacy or whatever. Ah. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yes, it's a similar thing. And, like, the corrupt warden, the corrupt people yep. in charge have to get their just desserts, of course. Yes. Um, and there's also the escape important part. Um, there has to be the, uh, there has to be the change of the status quo, the breaking of the, the power dynamics, um, in this kind of narrative. Uh, because, you know, as long as everything's takes place within the, the prison walls, there can't quite be a full realization of that character's agency. (laughs) They have to be able to escape it to truly, you know become their own person or something <laughs> um i feel like there's 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 a good chance these movies borrow a lot of tropes from other movies like for example we intend i intended to watch the great escape before we recorded this because that's like the mother of all prison escape movies but you know mm-hmm. i didn't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can see that. You can see some things from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in uh, there, like this. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, I think as far as uh, connective tissue between the two, the only thing we're missing is uh, what I said at the beginning, and that is that um, Andy and Stanley are both uh, incarcerated for crimes they did not commit. Yeah, okay, so that's also um, a question I had. Um uh, was about, you know, the, uh, the I guess, for lack of a better word, our protagonists, our central characters. Though I do think in the case of the Shawshank Redemption, there is a little bit of question whether Andy or Red is truly the protagonist. 
But um, for for yeah. lack of a better word, you know, the central character, I thought it was interesting that in both of these films, that character is technically innocent of the crime they're uh, accused of. Um, so, like, um, okay, why do you think that is? And do you... Th- do you think it's effective, you know? I think that's what it is because that's what it takes for American audiences to empathize with someone in the prison system. I think, unfortunately, Caleb hit the nail right on the head. Uh, in the case of Sawshank, uh, I, I think they do it uh, to show you that uh, this is a real thing that happens. These terrible, terrible events can happen to... Yeah. Uh, as someone who is innocent, they just have enough for uh, a DA or some hotshot lawyer to get a conviction. Um, and Holes, I, I think Caleb's right, especially for it being a kid's movie. Like Stanley had to be ultimately innocent for him to be a Disney hero. <laughs> right. In, 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 the, in Holes, the only characters that can be morally gray they like can't be the main can't be the main character. Kate Barlow gets to be gray because she's not the protagonist. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's both of what you guys are saying. Like it's on the one hand is it's easier for the audience to self-insert into a character who is right. innocent because the thing is once you add a character who has a moral grayness to them, a character who has actually committed a crime, you know, of varying levels of severity, then it becomes easier for the audience to distance themselves. It becomes easier for them to say, oh, well, I wouldn't have done that, so I wouldn't end up in this position. Right, and we're trying to get people to be empathetic. We're trying to get an audience to be empathetic towards people within the prison system. And if that's the step we have to take, then... You, might you know as well. what? Yeah. I'll I'll accept it. Honestly, extracting empathy yeah. from people can be like wringing blood from a stone. So you know it. It's in some cases it is necessary. Like it's yeah. See, when I first saw the Shawshank Redemption the first couple of times, I I was kind of like I didn't really understand why they would make it so that Andy was actually innocent of the crime. I thought at the time that that undercut the message. I was like, well. Well, if he's innocent, then, like, it doesn't that undercut the whole point of, like, you know, the prison system and, like, the, the ways in which it harms people. But, um, you know, it to me it seemed like an easy out to get the audience's sympathy. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, it the, the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter whether he's innocent because he goes into the prison system just the same. He's processed just the same and he is put through the ringer just the same you know and and that can and does happen like the point isn't whether or not you actually did it the point is the product the point is once you're in the system the system doesn't care who you are it doesn't care if you're good it doesn't care if you're bad all it cares for is that you are within it and that you are now you know property of the system exactly you're just property you're no longer a person um so now i think i have more an appreciation for that decision um, I, I, I do think actually in both cases, it is the right decision. Now I do think that there is a place for that, that there should be narratives that focus on characters who actually are guilty, you know, and actually do have that moral grayness to them. But I think that if it's just on a baseline, like trying to get a general audience to sympathize with them, it is important to say, 
hey, you can be a good person, you can be an innocent person, and this can still happen to you. It, it can, and and it does. You know that. That's why uh, we we did get a little bit of that in uh, Shawshank, right? Uh, with with Red, only guilty man in Shawshank. Like. Yeah, right. And and that's even that is a good moment of characterization for him because he is. He owns that. Yeah, he is the right. only one who has accepted mm-hmm. the reality of what he's done. <laughs> right, and I don't, I you know, obviously, the movie doesn't harp too much on the whole personal responsibility angle, because that's not what it's about. But, you know, there is that element of accepting your own guilt, even within that unjust system, like, Red accepts his guilt from the very outset, you know, it's not really, the journey for him is not about accepting his guilt. It's about accepting that he is a person that is, is, is worth saving, that he can still have a life despite that guilt. And, um, you know, for Andy, it's, he isn't guilty of the crime, but he has that kind of come to Jesus moment, I guess, after he's been in the hole, uh, where he, he says, you know, I, I killed her. You know, I didn't pull the trigger, but I I pushed her away. And if I hadn't done that, then she wouldn't have died, which is a big moment for him. Like it's that's where he's acknowledging that he had guilt, but also like acknowledging that he can move past that and he can forgive himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I would just like to say, holy crap, his the judge sentenced him to two consecutive life sentences. For those of you that don't know, um, uh, you can serve time for multiple charges either consecutively or concurrently. Concurrently means you are serving time for multiple charges and and it, it counts. So, like, if you're sentenced to five years for theft and five years for something else, if you serve five years total, you're done, right? Because they, they were you, you served both of them at the same time consecutively means you serve five for one and then five for the other andy was given two life sentences to be served consecutively one after the other for second degree murder for a crime of no, passion it wasn't even first degree murder no. Wait, no 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 wait was did they sentence him for first degree? degree okay no wait hang on i'm thinking no they uh they do say that yeah, um, no, no, no. Uh, because of the amount of bullets that there was no way that this was a uh Crime of passion because he took the time to stop. That's reload, true. They do argue. Uh, that seems. Like, yeah. I'm not going to disagree with the fact that they said it's first degree murder. I'm going to say that's a little flimsy. That's still it, a crime uh, of passion yeah, for me. It's... To me, premeditation well, to me counts as more lawyers, than just finding. Yeah, the lawyer says something like, "Now, whether or not you agree with the argument, he says something like." He talks about the reloading of the bullets, and he says, "This was not just like a crime of passion. That at least could be." Uh, understood if not condoned no this was cold-blooded premeditated murder like this was revenge like yeah. that's the argument he makes anyway so i guess that could be part of why he i gets... think that this isn't important but i think that argument is flimsy just just because <laughs> he took the time to shoot them each once more does not prove that it was fully premeditated it just means he was really pissed off <laughs> <laughs> if they if you serve two consecutive life sentences, do they like bring you back and they're bringing I've and never completely understood how that works. I'm fairly certain a life sentence has a specific like year or like d- when they say specifically like defined. someone sentenced for like several hundred years and I'm like I mean good luck with that. 
Right. It, so life <laughs> imprisonment is any sentence of imprisonment for a crime under which convicted people are to remain in prison either for the rest of their natural lives or until pardoned, paroled, or otherwise commuted to a fixed term. Oh, so it so, basically means So nothing. basically that means he would have to be pardoned for both. Or paroled. Um, so so a life yeah. sentence does not necessarily mean you will die in prison. Okay. It just means you have the possibility of dying in prison. <laughs> Which, uh, let's move on. Because that is what that's what Red had. That's what Red had as well. Yes. So not two, but he had a yes. life sentence. Let's move on to our next question. Whew. Okay. Well, we I'm kind sure of we addressed. Missed, a I'm few sure we of missed those. some comparisons, <laughs> but at this point. No, it's it, okay. Oh, we can move on. We actually addressed, like, three different questions that I had with cool. that one. Um, okay, well, let's move on to another one that I had. Um, these films are both about similar subjects, but with different target audiences. What does Holes do differently to make the prison narrative more suitable for younger audiences? So, obviously, there are some things that Shawshank touches on that Holes right. does not. So, we remove the rape. Yeah, we remove the suicide. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we remove... The violent beating. We keep the murder. Right. That's true, Mm -hmm. technically. Yes. The warden doesn't kill anyone or isn't responsible for any deaths, but. Uh, Again, they won't murder, but they will allow children to (laughs) die. Yes. (laughs) Um. I don't know. I was just thinking about how the structures are kind of similar, but like it's like a little bit more of like a comedy. One step is to remove a lot of the language. (laughs) <laughs> well, yes. You remove people getting beaten to death. Yeah, that's always good. You remove the rape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's about all you need to knock this movie down to a PG-13. <laughs> but it's not PG-13. It's PG, right? I know. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> it's, it treats it with a slight sense of, like, a tongue-in-cheek sort of sense of humor. I do not want to see the airplane version of the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Airplane versions of movies are like the most heavily edited uh, versions. See, of I've movies. never watched an in-flight movie before. I've never been on a plane long enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple flights, fl- yes. a couple flights across the Pacific will change that. The thing that. is, I think you actually could do an airplane version of the Shawshank Redemption and not lose that much. Like, I'm thinking about the really heavy stuff that that is that happens in it, like the the beating, the suicide the uh the rape but that none of that is really i think any of that could be removed with just the implication there and it the movie would not be that different yeah not to be over here advocating for the pg-13 version of shawshank redemption or anything but i think Um, it could work potentially you saying that i've had a couple more thoughts about how holes changes it um the the malevolent forces are a bit more cartoonish yeah like the the warden and the captain of the guard are both like they are evil like they are just despicable and um the warden and her two lackeys are much more cartoonish (laughs) um they're much more why i oughta (laughs) (laughs) is the only way i can think to describe it Oh, lovable yeah. scamps! Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, it's funny because the warden and the the whatever is Clancy Brown in Shawshank Redemption are almost cartoonish, 
in that they are very archetypical sort of like you you know you have the the religious guy who's secretly slimy and you have the like just the brutish like cop guard figure like sociopathic yeah. like he he loves oh, exactly his exactly like, and it's like the smile he has on his face when he's about to uh permanently paralyze oh, horrifying. Dogs i know that that is, scene is so confusing because it's like you want the guy to get his just desserts but then when it starts happening you're like i don't like this anymore also <laughs> why did he even do that to boggs like did he re- did he really uh, care that much about Andy I helping him out? I think he was a homophobe. Out? I think that's what it well, is. I think it's that he. Well, uh, they knew. He knew before that. I, I Justin. No, I, it's specifically because at that point Andy had started doing uh, favors for the guards okay, and the yeah, warden to get yeah. them more money. So that's uh, Andy was under the guards' protection at that point. That's one of the things the warden says uh, when he visits him in the hole is, like, I'll burn the library down, and I'll make sure you serve the hardest time here, no more protection from the guards. That's blah, a good blah, point, blah. yeah. Like, he, I think, yeah. It, but it's also kind of like, wow, it's almost like if you were under their protection, it's like they could have done a little better job of protecting you, you know? And, yeah, and, no, they could have the whole time. Yeah. They just didn't give enough of so a shit like, about you. So it's like, instead of actually saving him from, from his assaults, they are just gonna, like, beat the guy after he did it? Like, gee, thanks, you know? Like, it... Which is why, I don't know, I didn't know exactly how to read that. I kind of read it as he was particularly offended by that due to, due to like, a homophobia kind of thing. See, I didn't read it as a homophobia. I read it as, so that scene happens, like, almost immediately after Andy helps him get, like, what was it, $35,000 um, tax-free. It's true, it but, is rather soon So after. I read it as him being like, oh, you're gonna hurt my golden pony? Or my golden goose, but I, I so I read it that way. But I also didn't really believe it that much. I was like, Andy's only done one thing for this guy, and he's kind of a hard ass. Why would he go and you know beat this other guy so badly just because he hurt Andy? It could also be just a threat to his power, like someone else is like trying to throw their weight around, which he obviously is because he has the whole gang of guys that help him with his nefarious deeds. Could be, but he they were doing that for years beforehand. I know it's. So. I don't know. It, you know. Well, let's, we'll move on from that point. Well, Andy what, just... Andy had proven himself financially beneficial, and yeah. uh, Boggs was a threat to that. That's true. So, that's, that's, I, I would also yeah. argue it, it, there's a point to doing it in that it's like, it, like we were saying, it's like, it feels good on a very surface level because you're like, yeah, he deserves it because he's a fucking rapist, like... But also, it's like, on the other hand, it keeps you from feeling too good about it because you're just like, there's a prison guard who can terrorize people right. with st- no, th- th- he th- doesn't answer for it. This you know? movie has such a deft hand that you despise Boggs, but you still feel bad for him right, when, because, when because he gets beaten and can't and is paralyzed. He asserts his power in ways that he can, but it turns out he doesn't have power against the people who are, you know, actually in control of the prison. Like, they're all just fucking pawns to them. Like, and and so it it keeps you from being able to to go like, oh yeah, just desserts because they're all shitty people. Like that, it's all bad. You know, <laughs> you don't get that satisfying like conclusion until the very end, of course, um, which I think is purposeful. 
So we were talking about holes <laughs> and how holes makes it PG. Yeah. Um, holes makes this movie PG by not doing any of the stuff we just talked about. Right. Well, it's it's all there. They kept Clancy Brown yes. out. <laughs> Don't let my man Clancy over here. Mr. Krabs going to fuck stuff. Oh, my God. I'm going to beat your ass, me laddie. <laughs> oh, my God. Just, no, just have him say all the, like, weird sweary lines that he has, but in Mr. Krabs' oh, voice. Wait. Guys, <laughs> no. He beat Boggs because he was a threat to his money. I mean, kind of. Yeah. Let's, kind of. Stephanie, ask another question before this goes any further. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um. Okay. <laughs> So we've more or less covered that one. Yes, like similar structures, treated very differently. Um, okay, let's see. Um, so another question I had was, um, finally we can get around to the subject of music, which we began to touch on earlier. We decided we would save till later. Um, I put, um, these soundtracks both slap, <laughs> but in very different ways. <laughs> what do you think about the role of music in each film? It's obviously a core part of both movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Holes is <laughs> Holes is much less of a deft hand because <laughs> it is largely pop music from the year two thousand three. Holes is groovy. Which don't get me wrong, I love it. I love me some pop, some soft, <laughs> gr- mellow pop rock. No, no. Um, so don't yeah. give up. Never give up. We <laughs> won't stop giving all we got. It's it's you look they got literally to go dig those holes. Dig it. Uh oh, dig it. We literally yes. Jessica. So <laughs> go for it. Uh, uh I, I I I'm gonna poop on no! the party here a little Justin, bit. Uh, it, the whole soundtrack. I was like, oh, this. This is bringing back some times from some music that I don't think is very good. Party pooper. You don't love the the Detent Boys song? We had this movie it. made a song where every boy in Detent gets a rap verse oh so God. that we could show the music video on Disney Channel to promote the movie. All these little white boys, like, trying to rap on this video. Hey. There, there is plenty of nostalgia bait corny shit that I love that you can come at me for. Where you have a podcast, it'll happen a lot. But the whole soundtrack is not Got two suits, two tokens in anymore. hand. Got no respect because I'm the new man. <laughs> Got my tokens, shoes full of sand. Check out the tag, the name's Caveman. Oh my God. <laughs> Eminem who? <laughs> no, it's funny because they start with armpit. They start with they start with the chubby black guy because they're like, okay, we want people to think like to Biggie take Smalls us seriously. Here, you know? Yeah, yeah. We, gotta, we gotta start with the guys like a young Biggie, and then boom, we hit him with Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf <laughs> no. Oh my God. <laughs> It's okay. so Stephanie, much. Yes. Kate okay. Barlow's montage. Oh. <laughs> I will survive. 
no, that's that's uh, I don't know. Is that the only song that has a female vocalist? Um, it's I like it. I actually okay. So I wanted to go and listen to this whole uh this whole soundtrack. Um, I I did listen to the Shawshank Redemption soundtrack, uh, which slaps. By the way, we'll get to that. Um, no surprise there. Yeah, no surprise. Uh, Thomas Newman always slaps, but um. It, but I started to listen to this one, but I couldn't get all the way through it. Uh, not because it was bad, just because I had to do other stuff. But no, it's <laughs> really good. I um, Unfortunately, a lot of songs you only hear part of, but they really do contribute to the mood a lot. And I especially like, um, you know, kind of that use of kind of like updated versions of spirituals and like um like work the, songs the, chain gang songs. yes like the one of the opening songs is sung by the detent boys but you don't know it because they do a good job with it that sounds like a spiritual the um it's literally zigzag singing you got to go and dig those holes <laughs> And yeah. then later on, they said, what's the, they literally do sing a spiritual. Sinners, let's go down. Let's yeah. Let's go down, come on down. See, more of that I would have yeah. been fine with. It's all the other it's stuff the, they throw. Justin's not an Eagle Eye Cherry <laughs> fan. No, but, no, but I do like when they kind of have those, like, the, uh, the sort of archetypical kind of, like, chain gang songs, um, the call and response, the, uh, the spirituals. Yeah. Um, like the yeah, like uh, down in the river to pray, whatever it's called. You think I would know this song because I've actually sung it with a couple of different choirs at this point. But <laughs> as I went down <laughs> oh, there to pray, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Me and Caleb met in choir, so it's not like he can front like he he wasn't a choir kid Aww. too. <laughs> but um. <laughs> okay, have we said enough about the music in holes? Uh, well, yeah, I guess so. It's it's a lot more um like licensed song there's focus. a lot of licensed music because there's yeah. only like two or three original songs in the score like vocals yeah um but they are really good i, I like they they contribute to the mood um i'm i'm a fan i think it works really well i'm a fan sorry to, sorry to justin sorry to this man yeah <laughs> sorry to this man. <laughs> not a fan took Aww. me out of it the spiritual and work songs are good everything else eh. yeah I can see that. All right, Stephanie, why don't you flip over? There's a reason why the aughts, uh, the aughts of the 2000s aren't remembered (laughs) very well for their musical prowess. Stephanie, why don't you flip (laughs) over to the entire page of notes you have about the soundtrack for the Shawshank Redemption? Whatever. It's not actually that was. I do have notes about the soundtrack. Okay, so first of all, I stand Thomas Newman. Um, I love his music. Um, it. I first started getting into him when I was um, when I was getting into the films of Sam Mendes, <laughs> um, American Beauty, Revolutionary <laughs> Road, uh, Road to Perdition, nineteen seventeen. Uh, I love all of these, and one thing that they all have in common is my man's Thomas Newman. Um, also, cinematographer Roger Deakins, who also does the uh, the cinematography for the Shawshank Redemption, um, and of course Thomas Newman does mm-hmm. the score. And, um, I don't know, this, uh, the, often I don't notice the score of a movie that much, which, you know, can be a good thing. Like, the score should be there to serve what is happening on screen. Like, we, we know that. But, um, the, uh, the score of Shawshank Redemption really, it, it makes itself known, but, but, but in a good way, I would say. It, 
some of the um <laughs> it's gonna be really embarrassing for me to try to articulate this because while i i do have a background in music i you know i i play musical instruments i sing but i i don't know my musical theory as well as as some um but uh some of just the chords i guess uh that are are used here are so odd but in a good way <laughs> this is gonna be my really basic attempt to describe this um just i i really encourage anyone who's listening to this to go and listen to to the score it's only like 45 minutes give or take long it and it's so good um just these odd interplays between minor and major chords um such a a strange eerie poignant feeling throughout yeah the St- stephanie uh showed me or asked me to listen to the the title track Shawshank Redemption um, the track earlier and my main thought while listening to it was so it it, it starts with you know it's really minor and dark but as we start to hit to the middle there's it does something that's present throughout a lot of the film is it's dark but then it follows it it hits you with this Stephanie said discordance where there is the presence of immense evil like the the growing evil but also there is always this undercurrent of hope flowing through it and then it finishes with the triumph of that hope yeah and that's what I that's part of what I really love about the score is that it is so it's so dark and eerie and brooding throughout and yet there's always that kind of really beautiful really like 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 the musical equivalent of a light shining in the dark like um this really beautiful ethereal overtone to it um and so in particular i i was listening to the soundtrack and i made notes of this this track that Caleb mentioned entitled Shawshank Redemption and it is the the score that plays during Andy Dufresne's escape so it starts when he is in the cell and you know it, we are introduced to this scene by red believing or fearing that he has committed suicide so it we are introduced to it with this kind of very brooding dark feeling of like this is this is the deciding moment between life and death sort of um and he is in the cell and and the way the track starts it's so like it's eerie almost and there is this kind of recurring theme like i don't i call it like the the darkness theme in this in this movie because it is like the music every time there is this darkness that settles over the prison when everyone's alone in their cell it plays this kind of this leitmotif yeah yeah that's what it's called a leitmotif like this almost sinister sounding theme that it's like the very embodiment of darkness encroaching over the the inhabitant of the cell um it starts that way then it kind of as he crawls through the tunnel and into the walls as he is beginning to make his escape it builds sort of um it it grows tense uh dissonant discordant um kind of with these clashing instruments uh and 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 there's that tension of like will he escape you know there's the thunder crashing he's 
he is breaking his way like with just a rock you know into this um into this tunnel um and um it, it kind of mirrors the thunder happening outside and then it kind of rises now these are minor keys here minor chords it continues rising as red describes his escape as he is crawling through <laughs> a river of shit as as red calls it um to freedom and as he comes out the other side there's this very beautiful decisive moment where you f you hear buried within all the dissonance the first major chord the first it's like the first call of of hope um you know and and he comes out the other side and then it resolves into this beautiful triumphant um major key and there's that moment and that's the moment you know the iconic uh, standing in the rain moment and then mm -hmm. immediately it dissolves into this like beautiful twinkling harp sound that's like the just that moment of the rain falling like feeling the rain on your skin as a free man just like the the pure physical sensation of that i don't it's <laughs> see this is me just talking about a single track so, of the score <laughs> <laughs> so and uh using the scene as an example but it's really um it's really all throughout the film the uh the score uh again in this scene in particular and the cinematography are doing such a beautiful dance together. Absolutely. That, um, these two, these two on a project together are a uh, a tour de force. If you will. <laughs> I know, and they and uh, they work together on many <laughs> films, like uh, like Roger Deakins mm -hmm. and Thomas Newman, and that that I love that because it's like the the interplay in film between the visual and the auditory, and it's just this such a beautiful thing when they come together i i know it's like i'm discovering the concept of fucking film for the first time but you know this <laughs> this movie makes me feel as if i am watching well, a film for the first time you know because it's so beautiful it uh it, it is something that a, a lot of people take for granted um most audiences um people who are listening to a podcast like this probably not so much <laughs> but uh your yeah. standard audience goer your standard mcu <laughs> fan uh is really like uh they might not notice the sound design and the score uh as much and really sound uh in some ways and in some moments of film is almost more important than what's going on on screen a beautiful piece of music or dead silence can be so powerful and adds so much oh, to it sounds moment. incredible it, 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 it's crazy how taken for granted 1917 is, uh, is a great example about... of that that's once again roger deakins yes. and and thomas newman the the moments where oh, they yeah. choose absolute silence oh i would love to talk about silence of score i should here. say yeah um versus like like the entire scene in um the ruins of of um yakusk when he meets the the young woman who found the baby and there's no music that entire scene it's so quiet it's and so he intimate sing, he mm -hmm. sings that that song to the child it's just and uh perfect use of diegetic music yeah like music that's actually happening in real time um yeah no i it's it's really incredible and, and the way this yeah the way this film uses silence and sound light and dark like nothing and and suddenly something you know it 
it's really, really incredible. And um, I, once again, would encourage you to listen to the score. It's, it really has, um, it, tonally it fits the film very well because it has just this very haunting quality, this very, like, a very delicate interplay between uh, major and minor keys, like, sad, happy, um, just everything. <laughs> like, you will feel things you never thought you could feel. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, and it's very good. Like, just that one track alone, I was really struck by the, the progression of it. And, um, and even that scene, like, itself is so, it has such a kind of a mythic symbolic quality to it that also I feel is present in holes like within both of the escapes from the prison there's that kind of journey through the wilderness um you know in um in the case of Stanley and Zero it's going through the desert then climbing the mountain always a symbolic thing and um in Andy's case it's it's you know crawling through through the earth you know like crawling through the foul disgusting heart of of the prison and coming out on the other side. And of course, there's also the, you know, the sickening and healing of the land, which also comes up in both of them. Just the, the physical elements illustrating... They both use the yeah. healing rain. Exactly. Oh, the, yeah, the healing rain. Which, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such a trope, but in a way that, that we love it. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that is a powerful moment, because it's like... He, you know, you are cut off from the natural world when you are within the walls of the prison. But then outside the walls, it's like you can suddenly feel again. You can be part of of the earth. And I think that's part of why the ending hits so well, is that the ending... Um, <laughs> we might as well end talking about another metaphor here. Um, the, the ocean. What does the ocean represent? It, it represents this vast endless possibility it you don't know where it ends you don't know where it goes it the fact that the movie ends on that shot of them meeting on the beach it's like it's it's possibility it's hope it's it's the future the fact that from my understanding and i could be wrong here the short story does not give any resolution to this and the movie does i would so, yeah, this movie would be like a seven out of ten without, <laughs> without the no, resolution. You need the resolution for this kind of movie. Now, I will advocate all day for an ambiguous <laughs> ending to a film, but this is not a film that needs an ambiguous ending. It needs it's. Right. That's the thing. That's what's so powerful about it is that it's not ambiguous. It's that it, it, it insists on hope. You know, it, it's. That's I think what continues to be so powerful about this movie is that it is it's dark, it's sad, it's it's devastating, but it has this relentless undercurrent of hope to it that it even in the end it it reinforces it not just for one character but for both. Like both of our point of view characters are allowed to have that that beautiful like almost transcendent moment of of meeting on on the the shore. Like the shore of the ocean, you know, the it's the it's almost as if there is so much life still ahead of them, and these are two men that have been in prison for decades, like that, and yet there is so much possibility still there, and that's like the last lines he 
gosh, I can't quote them word for word, but he, he says, like, I, I hope that I will make it across the border and see my friend again. I, I hope that the ocean is as blue as it is in my dreams. I hope, like, mm-hmm. just, I hope, like, nothing beyond that, just hope. It, yeah, that's, it's, it's, and it's beautiful. And the very last shot is of them coming together and the camera pans out and it's like, we don't need to see more, but it's not ambiguous that it's, it's, you know, we know, we know that they, we know that they can move on. We know that they can have a happy ending. We don't know what it will be, but we don't need to know that. We just need to know that there is hope. So, yeah, it's beautiful, and I get in my feelings every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Sorry, any other, any other thoughts that anyone has? <laughs> Once again, Stephanie has hit the nail right on the head. Uh, the whole fun rewatch from childhood Shawshank Redemption in my opinion one of the greatest no absolutely I I'm I am glad that it is frequently listed on the best movies of all times list I am very offended however that it didn't win any Academy Awards I just learned that tonight and I am just reeling still I'm just like what excuse me (laughs) no I I want to go through just a to make a point, I want to go through a list of movies that have won Academy Awards, like some not very good movies, and then be like, meanwhile, The Shawshank Redemption has no Academy Awards, because fuck you, that's why. <laughs> I just, I, I'm so incredibly offended by that. But, um, but seriously, like, uh, like I said in my Letterboxd review of this, if there was one movie I could choose to, it, if I had the opportunity to make everyone on Earth watch one movie, <laughs> mandatory viewing, um, it would be this one because I I don't know that we already know that film is such an excellent medium for fostering empathy or or it can be it, it can be an excellent medium for for putting yourself in other people's shoes like and the fact that this this one does it so effectively so well and puts you in the shoes of people that you don't really want to be put in a lot of the time. Most people don't. Like, you know, people who are on this this fringe of society, like, people who have been this discarded by society, it... I... In so much as I believe in the power of film to affect people, you know, it, it depends on the person, but... But in so much as, as I do, I, I think that everyone should watch this and I think that everyone at the very least should attempt to foster that empathy with people who who a lot of times it would not be your first inclination to give it I I don't know I think I think I believe in the power of cinema <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I I don't know Beautiful. I yeah I Beautiful. just want everyone to watch it and we could bake a a cake of rainbows and smiles <laughs> and eat it and be happy for whatever that line from Mean Girls is. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, guys? Not a lot. Not usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, um, go watch this movie and also watch Holes. 
Because it's also good. <laughs> Just in case you thought. I recommend Shawshank and then a whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're feeling a little, a little morose. But also, it's impossible to feel morose after you're watching Shawshank because it's just it just ends on such a beautiful, hopeful note. You just feel good. Like, you feel a little like you need to sit for a moment, like, quietly. Yeah, Shawshank is one of those mm-hmm. movies that I will let the entirety of the credits roll. Just Because, sit there. one, yeah. I need that time to decompress, and two... The score is amazing. You like there, amazing. there are you some movies. Yeah, there are just some absolutely. movies that you just let the credits play because of the music, and Shawshank's one of them. Right. Once again, why Thomas it's, Newman is yeah. the king. You you need it. You need that decompression of the 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 song that plays during the score. No, absolutely. You just still want to live in that moment, that beautiful transcendent moment. <sighs> <laughs> Well, poetic cinema. Thank you for this episode's uh, light listening segment. Uh. <laughs> I know I could talk about this movie forever, but but we will cut it but, short here because it's but, almost eleven. Yes, but my name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. Um, my name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at you already know what it is. Ray's left boob. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Justin. You can find me on social media everywhere at Blame It on Butler. Um, I guess I'll bring it up because Stephanie said yes. she didn't mind. I, my business partner and I filmed a documentary called Long Walk from Darkness, um, which the short pitch of it is there is a program in the Bay County Jail that actually. Uh, tries for uh rehabilitation in a way that is uh teaching these uh, substance abuse inmates practical life skills and uh, different ways to cope with their addictions and their uh mental issues it's a very interesting program that has yielded some great results i uh i really believe in it and i want to see more programs like it uh around the country because just sticking people in a cage and saying be a better person does not fucking work um but the film was supposed to be in the festival circuit uh, this year, but COVID kind of killed that. So we are looking at different ways to release it. If you want to see a trailer in the meantime, go to redlightswitch.com and click on the theatrical I'm really tab. Ga- I'm really glad you guys did that. I, I'm also trying to learn more about what kind of options we have around here for uh, just getting involved with prison reform, with um, just helping helping out in this in this system however we can obviously our our ultimate goal is well my ultimate goal is prison abolition and just a complete overhaul of how we do this but in the meantime just trying to to work within the system we have and try to help people in any way in any way we can also i i like the title there of like john milton uh long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to light <laughs> um <laughs> reminiscent of that anyway (laughs) I'm not sure who came up with the title but it reminds me of that Um, but yes please please support Justin and uh, go check out his film which I also need to see by the way (laughs) I haven't got got the pleasure yet but I definitely want to we'll work on it (laughs) alright guys um, after a very long episode probably (laughs) we are gonna head out um, and we will catch you guys next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Love ya. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.